my God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody, stay calm. What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay calm. Wait, 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 wait. Everybody, calm down. Welcome to Tales from the East End, episode 271, and it's me, Gary P. And of course, it's the prof. It's Carl Riley. I hate Sean Boyd. Uh, oh, yeah, the prof. The prof <laughs> had a prof premonition, and it was coming through up until Sean Boyd. Um, of course, we are still sponsored by Ocean Electrical, multi year deal for all your electrical needs and anything else you need. So check them out. Ocean Electrical, get in touch if you need any construction work done or anything in that field. So, um,. Yeah, this week we have our Dundalk review, a lengthy interview with Dermot Keeley. This is um, controversial, explosive, heartfelt, it's sombre, it's it's everything, it's everything. And mm-hmm. um, we took a bit of flack for actually getting him on in the first place, didn't we? Well, if you listen, we've already recorded the AD show part two and the two lads have heard the Keeley interview already, so we've gotten their reaction to it. Which kind of gave us a little bit of insight. And like Jason Maloney was saying, yeah, I've heard Dermot say some of this, you know, in his columns and bits and pieces over the years, but you've never actually heard him say it in full in one interview. So, interesting now, some people may have not have heard Dermot give his full opinion on the Leaving the Milltown in such a lengthy interview. Certainly not a Robbers podcast before. So, controversial perhaps. Um, an hour forty minutes, Gar. Um, it's gonna be a long one. It's it's excellent, man. Honestly, it is. It's really good. So you're you're in for a treat. Um, yeah. So the four in a row we were gonna talk about and uh, controversially leaving Milltown. So a long one today, Prof. And before that, we have a Dundalk review, the opening league game of the season, where we are back after hundred and five days. So we look forward to Tolka Park, the stadium of the future, as it was called. In 1987, they've had some construction work done, Prof. They've got a new PA. They've got, I think they have a new urinal. There's something else new, going new, on. New urinal, new wow. Urinal, yeah. That's fancy. Yeah, I know. You actually get to go in the toilet. What's next? The lights in the women's toilets. <laughs> so, definitely a bit of work going on there. And um, a price increase all across the league. We'll talk about that in a while. It's been a hot topic, the price increase in away sections. And if it's justified or not. But we'll talk about that and we'll have our Dundalk chat as well. And there's a little cram history lesson by Con Morphy. And once again, um, Con just excellent. Um, little bedtime story. There's a course in this and he makes coursing so <laughs> eloquent. Yeah. There was, and I was just like, like when he says fuck Talca, I was just like, it sounds so, so like eloquent and sophisticated. 
I said that. It makes cursing yeah. okay. <laughs> I said it to Matt. I was just, I was delighted. I got you to say fuck in a newcaster voice. Yeah, newscaster voice. I'd say. Absolutely brilliant. So, um, yes, and we have our last week's show with Ali McKenzie, and the Tifties Hotline as well. So Ali was our producer extraordinaire, and he talked to us about future endeavors and everything else. So Ali, big shout out to Ali. Yeah, and Ali's brother is a bricky. Who actually worked on the North Stand. Yeah, so it's a small world. So we told them we have a line now. If that happens, we can go straight up to Newry. <laughs> and we have some uh, we have some of the blame. He wasn't there long now. He was, he was only there a month or two, he said. But there you go. Actually worked on it. So, And then we have the printer guard. This the was a big talking point afterwards. Printer was a hot topic in the B team. and the. Uh, I, think it, I think we could have to swap roles. I think this could be the A team now. And the Tifties chat could be the B team because it's it's far more entertaining. I'll, gi- I'll give you that. <laughs> I went to uh, my pre match tradition now is I, st- I stopped by the Abo for one because Jim Conroy is there. And all he wanted to talk about was this printer. He just couldn't stop laughing the printer. And he reckons that Ed should have a new uh, column, an Agony Ant column, or Uncle Ed. Uncle where, Ed. Where he solves all Hooper's love problems. That's not a bad show. <laughs> Uncle Ed. Now, we do have a five-can rock show rule, so <laughs> that is definitely the case. Sophie Penny yeah. at Gary, thanks for mentioning on the podcast, crying laughing with Ed and the printer. Remember, his, his romantic gift. Romantic gift in inverted commas there. <laughs> I once said Jim just starts looking at, out into the distance and he goes, oh, no, actually, I couldn't live without a printer. Really? No, He's no. old school like that, yeah. isn't he? Couldn't you can imagine him, yeah. Um... We talked, the, the B-team group was um, rife with conversations and, and dialogue and confrontations as well. Mm. Pats or curbs, we talked about this before. It was a landslide for curbs. I wasn't going to bring this up. But We're pats. We played pats, prop. Don't say curbs. Don't do this to me. You've already hung me out to drive with Amo. Because the whole left wing back, he's not letting me, he's not letting well, me away with it. Because I hung you out to dry because you were just wrong and I knew you were wrong. So There's no way we that's said curbs. It. But I actually don't remember. So and when I saw the landslide I just stayed out of it. I was like Oh man it was I'm just gonna let Gary uh get the age old debate. Age old debate and I I have to take it on the chin. I took it on the chin. Initially I thought it was more of a north side thing. There's a lot the of silver spoons going around. Northside said curbs and south side said pats, but no, according to the poll, uh, nearly everyone said curbs. Yeah. Um, um, but honestly I don't remember what the hell we called we didn't play it that often though yeah we didn't we just played football it was, it was World Cup heads and volleys yeah. invisible goalkeepers invisible goalkeepers <laughs> on loan from Salernitana or something <laughs> who did we have on loan we had an invisible goalkeeper well, Tony from Brescia Tony from Brescia <laughs> um, the, the people copped the beer mat under the mic on Instagram a couple of people did Kinger's Creations I think I just named his new company Kinger's Creations Kinger's Creations with a K but he's the one who spotted the um, the book now the book we're talking about not the beer mat the people spot the book that was under the microphone it was a man who was let's say in the news that week that's what the book was yeah, in the news and, and Kinger spotted it yeah he's a top man Kinger Kinger's creations coming soon um, we're making this a thing now There's, the books are changed under the microphone so yeah tell us what you copped this yeah. week tell us what you copped this week um, first you'll hear a voice message from Robbie Horgan for his old gaffer in 86 and 87 and then Con Morphy talks the Tolka boycott and 87 to 1990 season so reading 
from Donald Fallon's blog. So Donald Fallon, friend of the pod. An expats fan, I think. Possibly balls now, due to affiliations. Um, yes, yeah, so here is the lads. We have Robbie, and then we have Con. Hi, Carl. Robbie here. Um, very quickly, um, and Dermot won't remember this, but I certainly do, because it helped me along in my career. But I remember joining Rovers in 1986 when Dermot was manager in the famous foreigner row team and um, was lucky enough to be... Um, always training with the first team needing two goalkeepers and everything else and learned very quickly that how hard and strict Dermot was uh, which wasn't a bad thing by the way but um, even in training games you know that uh, willingness to win and uh, not lose any games and if you've made any mistakes you got to make them once and once only so you had to learn from them but I do remember playing a game in in Chicor against St. Pat's, a reserve game um, on a very mucky, uh, horrible, probably winter's day, um, probably on a Saturday reserve games were played back then. And uh, after the final whistle, I think the, I think the game finished one all. Um, and back then the dressing rooms right, used to be right up the top of the pitch and I was coming from the far end, the shed end walking back down and everybody was shaking hands and whatever else and uh, I could see the players going off uh, I was the furthest one back I could see the players going off down into the dressing rooms and um, it was kind of like the parting of the sea um, players were moving to the left and to the right and I see this figure walking out which was Dermot with his big bushy beard walking down you know and I said oh somebody's in trouble here and the further he walked um, the for, the more I realised this could be me because I kept taking looks behind and there was nobody behind me and Dermot wasn't really a, um arm around the shoulder he was more a kick up the ass type of manager <laughs> and, uh, on that particular day uh, and I didn't think I made any mistakes um, he put his arms around the shoulder after he got by everybody uh, or everybody got out of his way one or the other and he put his arm around my shoulder and he said that won't happen again will it and as an 18 year old I said no Dermot that won't happen again I don't know what I did <laughs> wrong but I made sure it never happened again so um, great manager great guy um, wore his heart in his sleeve and went through a brick wall for everybody and I learned a lot from him and a lot to be thankful um, for him for in my own career so uh, wish him well great guy good luck with the interview um, he won't remember it but I certainly do thanks Carl see you bye a quick look at the Keep Rovers at Milltown campaign by Donald Fallon from October 26th, 2015. In the history of association football in Dublin, Rings End holds a special place. Shelburne FC were born there in 1895 and in 1901 it was to prove the birthplace of Shamrock Rovers. The first meeting of the club took place at 4 Irish Town Road. Despite beginning their football playing days in Ringsend Park, Shamrock Rovers will forever be synonymous with Glenmalur Park, which was commonly known as just Milltown. Milltown was home to the club from 1926 until 1987, when it was put on the market by the Kilcoyne family, who'd been the owners of the club since 1972. 
an obituary at the time of the death of Louis Kilcoyne in 2012, noted that the Kilcoynes were applauded for digging deep into their pockets and laying a superb pitch before embarking on the experiment of full-time professionalism under the brother-in-law Johnny Giles in 1977. Giles arrived at Rovers from West Bromwich Albion where he'd been player-manager and led the club to promotion to the Football League's first division, then the top tier in English football in the 1975-76 season. He signed Eamon Dunphy, Paddy Mulligan, Ray Tracy and former Chelsea captain Bobby Tamling. His aim was to be a force in European football. Reflecting this ambition, Kilcoyne had plans to redevelop Glenmuller Park into a 50,000-seater stadium. That from Louis Kilcoyne's obituary. The Kilcoynes claimed that it was in the face of falling attendances that they lost faith in the Milltown project and developed ambitions of moving the club across the River Liffey to a groundchair scenario at Tolka Park with Home Farm. McGill magazine highlighted at the time that the fact that the Kilcoyne family make their living from a property development company named Healy Homes has led many of their detractors to believe that the decision to leave Milltown had more to do with their entrepreneurial streak than their passion for soccer. Out of fan frustration with the proposed move to Tolka Park, the Keep Rovers at Milltown, Cram campaign, was born in 1987. Games at Tolka Park were picketed by Rovers supporters, while a sometimes vicious war of words broke out in the press, with Eamon Dunphy claiming in his Sunday Independent column that the Cram campaign was unconvincing, funny, sad and in some respects outrageous. The last game Shamrock Rovers played at Milltown was an FAI Cup semi-final against Sligo Rovers on the 12th of April 1987, which brought in a crowd of around 6,000 spectators. The Irish press called the occasion a day of nostalgia and angry protests. RTE asked Rovers fans entering the ground if they would follow the club across the river to Tolka Park. Some were adamant that they wouldn't. One man said he probably would, but at that moment in time, it was a no from him too. The game played out a one-all draw, but is best remembered today for the half-time pitch invasion of Shamrock Rovers fans, some of whom carried banners with slogans including Fuck Tolka and the question, Will Greed Kill the Hoops? The journalist Ken Curtin recounted the passionate scenes on the pitch. Hundreds of fans converged on the pitch at half-time and voiced their opposition to the proposed move to Tolka Park next season. The second half of the Cup semi-final against Sligo Rovers was delayed by 10 minutes. At one stage, the Rovers fans were joined by Sligo supporters in front of the grandstand. A large force of Gardaí present did not intervene with the protests and it was left to Rovers player-manager Dermot Keeley to persuade them to leave the pitch. The halftime protest was front page news the next day, with the Irish Independent describing what had just happened as the end of an era. Noel Dunn wrote that while the fans were not amused, they were well behaved though. Admittedly, one of the banners waved aloft, carried a rather unprintable slogan with that four-letter word preceding Tolka Park. And some pretty uncomplimentary remarks were also directed at the director's box. It didn't take long for the frustration of supporters to find an outlet. 
McGill magazine wrote, Within days of the announcement of the leaving of Milltown, Rovers fans and former players rallied to form Cram. They included Brian Murphy, chief executive of Diners Club in Ireland, Jerry Mackey, the former marketing manager of BP, who has subsequently become spokesman for Cram, former Irish youth coach Liam Toohey and Paddy Code. The latter three all played for what most veteran Milltown fans regard as the best Rovers team of all time. When Rovers moved to Tolka Park in the 1987-88 season, many supporters boycotted the games there, something that Paddy Kilcoyne admitted in an interview with the Sunday Press was effective, before stating that in real terms there isn't any public interest in this issue and the behaviour of these people had not really affected our determination to succeed at Tolka. The Irish Times wrote too that the Cram boycott had undeniably been successful. A meeting of fans in the Clarence Hotel to discuss the boycott tactic received plenty of press attention. Fans ultimately decided only to boycott home fixtures and to attend away games. The boycott tactic was aimed at hurting the Kilcoyne owners financially. By attending away matches, fans could continue to voice and display their displeasure. Boycotts, by their very nature, are divisive affairs. For the fans who chose not to pay into Tolka Park, however, there was a real camaraderie in it all, reflecting on the tactic that Glen Malour Gazette fanzine recalled that the first match to be boycotted at Tolka Park was a League Cup match against Athlone, where no more than 300 people went in. Louis, instead of giving the crowd as lower than it actually was, as he did when he was on the fiddle at Milltown, inflated the gate. But there was no disguising the fact that Rovers fans hadn't fallen for the lies and the aroma of pretense which surrounded the move to the graveyard, as it was called. We certainly had some good crack outside Talcott, despite the hardship we had to endure in not going to see the team we loved. The Cram campaign had its critics, none more so in the media than Eamon Dunphy, who had a history with Shamrock Rovers, having played there under Johnny Giles. Giles had told Vincent Brown in an interview with McGill that ultimately I want to win the European Cup with Shamrock Rovers. This may sound fantastic, but if you consider the amount of football talent that there is in Ireland, it isn't all that outrageous an ambition. While the club won the FAI Cup with Giles at the helm, the project was ultimately a failure and Dunphy came away from his time at Rovers embittered, claiming in his memoirs that it's the kind of people that are in the League of Ireland. There's a breed of person in it, that small town, county councillor, freebie, who contribute nothing and take as much as they can. Nothing is ever allowed to develop here because they don't want anyone to do it. We tried, but they didn't want it. No thanks, because it will interfere with our club. In May 1987, Dunphy used his column in the Sunday Independent to claim that it's because domestic football has died that Milltown is closing down. He attacked both Philip Green and Con Houlihan in the piece, claiming that Green had wept his way across the airwaves, giving sentimentality a bad name in the process, while Con Houlihan's pledge to donate 1,000 punts to save Milltown was dismissed too. Unsurprisingly, Dunphy was in turn ridiculed in the pages of Shamrock Rovers fanzines. With Rovers out of it, Milltown was allowed to fall into rack and ruin. A year on, McGill magazine reported that 
A year after Shamrock Rovers vacated it, Glenmalure Park is like a disused set from an old Hollywood movie, gloomy and silent, lacking only the ghostly tumbleweeds. The ground has deteriorated, the crowd barriers on the stone terracing have been sawn off, and the pitch, once regarded as one of the finest playing surfaces in Europe, is no longer. The hallowed turf that contributed to so many memorable Rovers' successes for over half a century, gone. The stands have fallen into disrepair and the changing pavilions are wrecked. Only the floodlights purchased with the financial aid of Shamrock Rovers' patrons remain intact. Tactically, it wasn't all about boycotting. Cram marked the first anniversary of the club's decision to leave Milltown with a march and an all-night vigil outside Glenmalure Park. Support was sought from public personalities too, with the House Martins responding to a letter from Rover supporters. The iconic band, fronted by Paul Heaton, noted that it seems obvious that these people have no genuine interest in the club itself and its history and importance to the community. A very impressive 2,000 punts was raised by football fans in Australia in support of the campaign, with the Irish press saying that it was the efforts of a young, recently emigrated hoop that made it happen. Probably the strangest bit of news coverage relating to all of it was an article in the Irish Independent claiming that Donnybrook businessman Terry Byrne had pledged to pick up the tab for sending Rovers fans to the Vatican in the hope that they could discuss the issue with the Pope. There was some support from the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Bertie Ahern, who claimed that when drums went, that broke part of Dublin City. If you take Rovers away from Milltown, then you're breaking away another part of the city. Here is the House Martins letter to Glenmalure Gazette on paper headed The House of Strangeness and dated 4th of November 1988. Dear Glenmalure Gazette, thank you for writing to the House Martins. As keen followers of football, we're all appalled to hear of the treatment that Shamrock Rovers have received from their directors. It seems obvious that these people have no genuine interest in the club itself and its history and importance to the community. We'd like to express our total opposition to property speculators buying sporting amenities, such as Glenmalure Park, in which their only interest is their own financial benefit. We wish Shamrock Rovers Supporters Club every success in its aim to keep the club at Milltown. Signed, The House Martins. Some in Cram were hopeful of raising the money to buy the ground from the Kilcoyne family, though as things became more and more bitter, Kilcoyne made his feelings clear in the press, claiming that the fans were flogging a dead horse and that the campaign couldn't convince his family to change their minds. In a newspaper article entitled Hoops Not For Sale, Kilcoyne, it reads... Although the Keep Rovers at Milltown, Cram Group, are reputed to have secured 150,000 punts already for their campaign, Shamrock Rovers Managing Director Louis Kilcoyne says that they're flogging a dead horse as far as the Kilcoyne family are concerned. In relation to Cram's claim that the Kilcoynes said that they would entertain a realistic offer for Milltown, the Rovers boss said, We told them that if anyone made a serious offer, we would keep the lines of communication open. But we said they would have to come back within 10 days, while they're saying three weeks. We never said Rovers was for sale, as they are intimating. We are going to Talca Park to ensure the future of Rovers, and Cram have no chance of making us change our minds.
In the end, the Kilcoyne family succeeded in selling Milltown and the Irish press predicted war in November 1988. One newspaper reported that the stadium was sold for 950000 above and beyond anything Cram could have hoped to raise. Cram responded immediately by saying the fight goes on. In the year of the Dublin millennium, Rovers chairman John McNamara pointed out the irony as part of Dublin's history was disappearing. Despite legal challenges, the ground was levelled in 1990 for property development. As Rovers fan Magdara Ferris has noted, at different stages after leaving Milltown, Rovers played games in Tolka Park, Dalymount Park, the RDS, Morton Stadium, Richmond Park and even played one home game 200 kilometres from Milltown in Turner's Cross in Cork. A monument today marks the spot where the football stadium once stood. So Robbie um, still doesn't know what he did wrong, but still apologise for it as well. So um, what can you do? He's only a teenager then, wasn't he? And then you can as well, of course. The ever listenable Con Murphy career weighing from an audiobook. I think if you ever quiz the commentary, literally the only thought that when I was listening to it, I was like, he's very, very, very listenable. Um, um, personal one for him as well, because his dad was the spokesperson for Cram. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, so, geez, a really touched home from. So, we drew one all with Dundalk in Tala last Friday. Prof Bumper crowd again. The re emergence of the sweet and um, fantastic stuff. So, one all. The build up, another brilliant promo by Philly. The goosebumps, Prof. I was tingling all over yeah, when I watched it. Was, it. it was quality. And do you know when you, um, something just hits you? I was expecting you know, Adele to come out. On, on the flatbed truck and just start singing because it was piano keys real sombre ones and I was thinking right, Adele's going to come out and start singing brilliant stuff from Philly we were running around like madmen looking for a projector and our usual source Corey Corey Keegan big shout out to Corey Keegan the, the W4 crew and Lucan he's actually in Canada he's living in Calgary so big shout out to the Calgary Hoops and he helped us out with the projector last time but obviously he wasn't around so we were scrambling. We got it done anyway. So big shout out to Philly Maguire on another absolutely outstanding promo. And he just gives up so much of his time for the club. So well done, Philly. Um, Bradzer's injury and Pico updates were as follows. Jack Bourne is out with a calf injury, Prof. But this scan is good. So we're hoping he'll be okay next week. Mm-hmm. Don't jinx it. It's quite normal after a lengthy layoff that a player can get little knocks elsewhere. We'll have a late check on Graham Borky pulled out of a warm-up last week. If this was late in the season, our cup final boat would play. But where we are in the season, there's no point taking a risk. Aaron McInef won't be involved tomorrow. Johnny Kenny is back on Monday. His rehab has gone really well again. It was late on. We push him, but not for now. We'll take precautions with Richie Tell. And we'll see how he's training today. We have a few out with knocks, nothing major. We're comfortable with our starting 11 in any game, and I'm sure we'll be fine. Now that's that's a lot of people missing and you throw in Lee Grace who hasn't started the game yet either and we'll talk about the wing backs obviously uh, yeah. during this game. Um, we actually have more as well prof. We have I totally understand people think that Pico will be ahead of other lads having played competitive games but that's nearly an artificial high that you get. Very quickly you'll see a mental and physical drop off. It might not happen till May or June but you'll get it. We saw that before with Pico so we have to learn from that and understand that while we all want Pico playing right now we'll have to take the hit short term and what we'll get long term give him time away now and then get him back up to speed in a couple of weeks 
and he'd be worth it in the long run. He probably only had seven or eight days off since the end of last season. Being away on camp with Cabo Verde. I've officially decided to call it Cabo Verde now. Probably. Yeah, since we're going to be going there on holidays. And coming back to training with Owen Donnelly and Glenn Cronin to get ready for the AFCON. He's had a little time off to ask someone to go through a calendar year playing at that level. We asked if him would be silly and naive. We had similar before Pico. We saw the dip and felt the dip. So we have to respect that and understand that we have to adjust. But we understand people thinking Pico was ready to go. Now, sounds like he's addressing us personally here, Prof. Because we were saying he's going to come back flying and ready and fit. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, so I, I, very, very sensible approach to Pico yeah. and long term management over the likes of Bork and Tell. Instead of rushing them in, we have a big squad, a deep squad, trust the players that are there. Don't get them in and let them get injured. No, I expect them to have a bit of a, uh, a rest after their after come back from, from the AFCON, right? But, uh, Gary, let me just make clear you are not invited on my holiday to Cape Verde. Now, moving on. Profit to on Pico this day, party. On this day. Like, we have the t shirts. To Pico Party. To the day, Gar. Rovers began the six in a row 60 years ago. And it was against Dundalk. And it was a 7-0 win at Milltown. Uh, but the interesting part about this is not just that it began the six in a row of FAI Cups. But the press went mental this week. They they criticised Rovers heavily in the week leading up to this. Because Rovers went away to Spain to play the Spanish B team, I think it was. So they went off on a little Spanish tour mid-season <laughs> in January or late January, early February right before an FAI Cup game and the press said they'd be too tired or they'd throw on the way the FA Cup, FAI Cup and Roberts won 7-0. <laughs> a few San Miguel's <laughs> in the sun, Prof. Yeah. The 1899 bar was back and the Glenmore Suite was back as well, Prof, with a bottled bar and the place was jammed. So great turnout. Yeah, it's not the full bar that we we all want just yet. Hopefully, we will get there in the coming weeks and months. But one thing for certain is it was great to have so many people back in one place again because that was the one downside of last year, yep. the four in a row, is that pre-match, some are in the Maldron, some are in the Dragon, some are in the Abo, were spread out all over the place. Yep. Some just didn't bother to go anywhere. And the pace was jammers, and it was just brilliant. Like I just even st- remember, like we, we how often have we name dropped these people, especially four years ago? It felt like so long that I just stood beside you, James Lowe, Deco, Gar Brennan, Nay. We had a monster Tiffy crew there, and we sat back at and one stage and we looked there. around, didn't we? Yeah, and we just thought we're back. Like it'd been a long time since. Yeah. like there's a good tourty, tourty of the crew and all the, anyone else who kind of who, who comes along. And we were, at one stage I looked around and goes, ah, oh, we're back. It's been it's been a long yeah. time, so it was great to see all the all the gang back. Anyway, yeah, I heard Giggy Hand is an even worse barman than you, Gar. Yeah, it's not hard to open bottles, but he somehow made an absolute <laughs> hames of it. Hames, well, I think there's could be a claim going into the SDCC now. Somebody lost an eye from a bottle cap. <laughs> well, Ed Meyer is defending him. He says, as a member of the Robbers Barman Union, I reject all the slander against my colleagues. Giggs, he's a great barman. Our service was 10 times faster than the Malgin anyway. Well, that's not hard though, is it, Aiden? No. That's not, not difficult. Also, he has a bird's eye view as well because he's seven foot tall. So he has an, an <laughs> overall view. So it's much easier for him. You know, he can hand drinks out easily because he's that tall. Um, yeah, yeah, so I, I noticed you. Uh, I don't know if you want to say this publicly or not, but you're, you're, you're looking ahead towards April 12th. Against Sligo, absolutely, which is yeah. actually the anniversary 
of uh, leaving the mill town. It's crazy the way it fell, wasn't it? 125 years as a club and 15 years in Tata. Well, that anniversary will be March 13th. But I love how you just started building this this particular night up so much. And I'm like, that's the one home game I'm missing all season. No. The one game. I'm going to a Hans Zimmer concert in the Tree Arena. Ah, will you be back for the for last orders anyway in the Provs? Don't make it too exciting, alright. Just, just, just bring it well, down. Well, Jamie Heaton is on, and the last time Jamie Heaton have a quiet played, little party without me. We had Kempes up grooving on the on the stage, and he tore that place down. So listen, you get last orders. I wouldn't worry about it. But Hans Zimmer, prof, bit of culture. I love it. Bit of culture, yeah. Uh, Ray's Curry was back. Now it wasn't bagpiped in as. Some predicted, but it was back a little more expensive than usual, seven fifty, but uh, well worth it. People were, I was watching people just eat the curry, and they were so happy. Yeah, there was a lot of raised eyes, you know. Oh, <laughs> I, at one stage, I get in, and you know when you get in, you kind of do the rounds, and you're saying hello and that. And I was walking in, and Lara and Moya were just like, "Stop fucking shaking hands, and get us a curry." <laughs> I was like, "Oh well, oh well." Now they were like, "We need a curry," so it was. Uh, Dragged over to get a raised curry. Yeah, I don't know who was in charge of the heating guard, but it was roast. I don't even think it was the heating. It's just all the bodies and jackets and close proximity. So I swear it was pouring off yeah. me. I was a couple of windows cracked. Could have done it. I was it. only yeah. there about ten minutes. I was dying. Um, not in the sweep, but just behind me where I sit. In the main stand, I met, uh, not for the first time I met him now, but I got a name this time, Mark Young. Travels all the way from Clare. So, he reckons he travels the furthest for any Rower supporter. But I pointed out to him, you got Colm Nolan, Tipperary, you got... Tip is just short, I think. Tip is inland, so you're looking... I think he might, I think he might pip Colm to this one. What about Galway? Kieran from Roscommon. We're going to have to get exact pinpoints here. Kieran actually lives in Galway, even though he's from Roscommon. He makes the drive every second Friday. And two Eustace family members also made the trip from Galway. We're going to so, have to send it in. We get, send us in your screenshots of <laughs> your Google Maps and we'll, we'll come up with something. It's a bit of a club here, isn't it? The longest <clears throat> travelling supporters. So I was back in my usual seat there in the main stand. I was happy with that. Um, you were in the south stand the ultras had a class display with the white horse and it said they said our race was won we've only just begun excellent brilliant stuff once again from the lads and um, they are knocking it out of the park as usual um, Prof you are now in the posh seats tell us about your new reserved seat it's not new at all I mean, how the much seat you, as last season but how much you love it you I do are, love it it's, it makes so much sense though when you think about it because you, like the big thing for us going to the south stand is getting to where we always stand and it does be rammed well, I had to give up on that remember the what was it called the perch we're back we're back perch. at the perch we're back in the perch yeah we're back at the perch but you've commandeered did you kick out some teenagers we've commandeered the Pride of Rings end have commandeered it as well so they hold <laughs> it down for us but it is there's a lot to be said for just strolling in two minutes before kick off and just sitting in your seat with your name on it I can be sipping my point <laughs> At 7.55, not a care in the world. And I can just casually walk up to my sea gear. Yep. It's glorious. So two changes to the side that started the President's Cup final. Conan Noonan and the gaff both coming into the side to replace Darren Nugent. And Aaron Green unlucky to be dropped. The wards mm. of Brad's are sort of forced. Striker slash a left wing back Aaron Green. Mm. The first 20 minutes gear. 
first 20 minutes was, uh, I felt it was quite hectic. And I think that Dundalk came looking for a scrap. They were trying to kick lumps out of us, yeah. Which Hennessy could have put a stop to with an earlier card. Of course, he didn't do it. Um, it it's it depends on your your perspective here. Some could say he's trying to let the game flow, but if it's a blatant foul, then you should be pulling it up. So I think mm. there's a balance there. And unfortunately, Neil Farouk just stretched it off with a dislocated shoulder and a, a, a nasty fall after just just as he was making the run, he looked so nimble. He looked like he was on form. He skipped by two yeah. players into the box. It was a good tackle in the end, but. So just the way was, he fell. Yeah, so the way he fell and then took him a long time to be stretchered off. There was a long stoppage, about 10 minutes. So obviously a lot of concern, faces around the ground, uh, hoping that he's okay. Uh, we've seen headlines about him possibly having a three-month layoff. We haven't actually got a confirmed time frame yet. But I think a lot of people were confused on the night whether it was a dislocated shoulder or a broken collarbone. We kept hearing two different things, but... It was dislocated shoulder. Um, Dundalk fans uh, cheering him off as he was stretchered. So, uh, very classy boy, the travelling Dundalk fans. And shortly afterwards... Yeah, with the Scotsman, Jamie Gullen, with a 25-yard free kick, the former Ray Rovers man. Um, Known for his ability to strike a dead ball and... um, hard, Hard one to call. Personally, I think... When you were behind it, my, my first thought was the cell stand folk will let me know if this was first thing central. I thought of was oh, needs to save them. The freeze frame is not flattering because it's the it, first thing I thought of. It can't, looks, you can't dress up how you how you your initial thoughts. It so. looks central, yeah. Um, but it, there, there was a lot of pace on it as well. I think it's very good technique. It's a very it's a it's a well hit strike, but then when you watch it from behind, it's not like in the corner, and he gets a hand on it. Which kind of disappoints me more that he gets a hand on it, but not a strong enough hand yeah. to palm it out. And so you can I, see the disgust in his face when he gets up. He, he grabs the the. I'm grabbing the microphone here. He grabs the post. Don't touch that microphone. And he yeah. Don't he, know all this microphone he, is. he grabs the post and he kind of just bang bangs his head off it. So we know. But listen, Leon, he's there for the season, and we're going to yeah. support him in every way. And we'll we'll, we'll move on anyway, Prof. Plus, I've I've seen Big Al concede similar goals to this in the last year or two. Yeah, we had one at Cork. We had a Cork free yeah. kick from Barry Coffey last season. So, let's not start having the would Big Al have saved this debate just yet. <clears throat> he's his own man. He's been given the blessing by Big Al, which is a big thing. Yep. Absolutely so, he's a number one. So, yeah, like you say, support him. Um, it was totally against the run of play. It must be said that Dundalk now had the lead. And your brother said this killed our momentum, as in the Neil Farouge injury killed our momentum yeah. from the first 20 minutes. So, I don't remember any clear-cut chance, was there, in the first half? Nothing really, Prof. Um, Not that I can think of. Um, other than that, it was like a main event from UFC 300. <laughs> your man, Anamana Suhan. It's another one for the prediction or for the for the pronunciation books. He he, he was saying uh, someone judo chopped Aaron Green or something. Cray kicked him in the second <laughs> half, right in the chest. So um absolutely kicked around Talat. But um yes, the first half, bit of a non event. Uh, I I thought I thought we had good passages of play. Cavo was very involved when he was put out wide. 
a lot of deep crosses. We'll move on to the second half, or anyway, probably. Well, the Trevor Clark injury. Trevor first. Clark injury as um, well. No unfortunately, Nugent slotted in a right wing back, and Trev just took a knock. So the I think everyone's everyone's reaction in the whole stadium was like, "Oh my god, he's only just on." Both our wing backs are injured. Forty-five minutes into the league season, and you're just thinking, seriously. Absolutely Seriously. insane when you think about it. Um, it's a nightmare stuff. And I blame you. You blame me. Yes, because you jinxed it. Not publicly though. You I'm allowed <laughs> to say things privately. It's not, it doesn't count as a jinx. I have a quote here on my phone. I think you quoted yourself. Well, okay, I'll say what I said. I People were getting very excited about our squad. I'm not saying I wasn't excited. I was. Because I'm looking at Jack and McIniff and the cloud. The cloud had enlarged. It's an embarrassment of riches. And on paper, it's it's a such a quality squad. So it's such an exciting squad. But <laughs> if our wing backs were to get injured, it changes everything. We're not, we're not the same team. And where do you <clears> find <throat> another Trevor or Neil? They're not, are they even out there? Do we revert? Does Bourne slot in? Um, what way does it work? Now, I think Jason Maloney made a great point and said it actually we're fortunate in a way in a sense that we're playing in Talca because it, it nullifies our, our our wit totally when we play over here it doesn't really matter it never seems to work for us anyway but yeah, it's br- um, it doesn't it's it's not justifying the injury at all it's, it's, it's brutal really it's it's a big big letdown because I'm so unhappy for for Ferruja because he had such he's got so much ability he's mm. such a good player and he just doesn't get a chance he just doesn't get a good run in it. Well, we should add that it's not it's his shoulder. It's not his hamstring, which has been the persistent problem for years, which he has seemed to have fixed. Yeah. Like he got a, he went, he travelled and got to operate on with a surgeon and everything. So it's not the hamstring again. No. So it's different. It's not even even Trevor Clark's injury. Um, did we did we find out what it was? But I don't think it's it's knocking the ankle. Knocking the ankle. That's not what he had been injured before. So it is different. Yeah. So listen, yeah. calm the jets and we're relaxing and we'll move on. But yeah. we'll talk about subs at half time Puff Green after Boom. I felt this was the right one. Um he was, I, yeah, he was very quiet. Pill, yeah, he, had, he he was quiet, so and um, I have to say I thought Greener was brilliant when he came on. And Greener and Watts, two very good subs. They're yeah. both very good when they came on. Just a final word on the the injuries uh, staff said, Oh Bradley said half the squad in a hospital bed. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we'll yeah. away with that one. Um Eamon, um at eight forty, meaning the two lads had come off, he's goes, Sorry lads, I'll head back to the States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One way ticket. Um, so I'll down the Dundalk chance. Yes, okay, oh, and this is the fella that we were talking about privately, prof. Um I switched him into my fancy football this week. Maybe I shouldn't say that out loud because it's getting tight. I'm he, topping the polls at the minute, prof. I'm top of the table. Yeah. One season or one one game in, but uh, Maloney is disputing it, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, he's saying that he had Oban in, but someone put Keaton, so he's cheating already. He's um, cheating already. Okay, and impressed me. He looked very, tr- he was good very last tricky as well. Very tricky player, very dangerous. Um, so it was actually from his, it was his header from Horgan's cross, crashed off the post, and this was just heart and mouth stuff. Well, initially it was heart and mouth stuff, but then when that hit the post, I was like, oh. We're gonna equalize soon. <laughs> they're gonna rule. They're gonna rule that. Honestly, that's what yeah. I thought. It it happens. Doesn't that's it? happened though so many times in Tada. 
a team misses a big chance at 1-0 absolutely yeah. a few minutes later we Greener getting back into us all fell by Greener who won the fell and then he finished it off so we Conan knew him with a superb ball in with his left foot and Conan I think he struggled slightly in the maybe in the in the first couple of maybe the first 45 his minutes his delivery wasn't great in the game in fact Dangerous Day behind me when Conan stepped up for the free kick he goes Noonan again <laughs> and then he whipped in the ball for the goal super ball in and but, brilliant from yeah. Greener just front post crashed it in and then game on prof so that's four goals four assists for Conan Noonan four um, goals four assists and Greener won. four games four games well two games oh yes yeah, yeah. two games four assists um, Greener won the league and in Shakur rang out from yeah. the south stand can we, call, can we call this a podcast bump technically not a podcast but the live show bump I think it could be. I think so, yeah. It's a podcast, but... I'll go there. We'll take anything we get, Prof. And I had a stat from Greener here. Greener has played in six opening day games for Rovers. And he scored in four of them. That's a Greener stat. Yep. Waterford, Bowes, Pats and now Dundalk. Good man, Greener. He's delving deep. Um, The last half hour, I thought we had a good spell, Prof. I felt some of the chances we... Green, I thought Cavill was very involved. And any other day, we would be attacking the fullback with the likes of Ferrugia and Clark in the position that Cavo got into. But Cavo was whipping in deep balls, some of them very dangerous. He put in some excellent balls. He put in one or two shocking balls as well, and which I think stuck out in people's minds because he got some stick after the game. But I thought for the most part, Cavo put in some decent balls. I didn't balls. think he was poor. He did his Cruyff turn a couple of times. He put some. He got a lot of space, that's the thing. And he put, whipped yeah. in some good balls and... Ultimately, we got chances and corners out of it. Well, the two chances were Burns, who uh, shot wide with a big chance, uh, but the golden opportunity was Hoare with the header. I think I don't I don't think he, it was. I think it was Hannan. Hannan had a header that was headed downwards at the back post. Should have buried it. Hoare's one should have buried it as well because yeah. it, it was a glancer and should have went into the top corner but went over. Two brilliant chances. Burns, I think Burns is going to be excellent. It's his force. He's only settling in. He was brilliant. He's getting into the right places. He is definitely our type of player. Mm. He was he was skinning players. You can see confident. He's gonna get better. I feel like when we win our first game, which won't be Talga Park, because that'll be nil nil. But when we win our first game of the season, I feel like Burns is gonna be our man to match that day. He's gonna be inspirational. He's dangerous. He's yeah. definitely gonna be a really really important player for us. But now Hor with a with a great opportunity and Honahan as well. So we are looking like threats. We're looking. We're threatening from set pieces, Prof, which is good. It was one-way traffic like we totally dominated the last half hour. Did we do enough to win the game? Probably. We made we made two or three good chances without being great, Randon. I think first, the first half, what was the first... Like, there was a lot of long balls played first half to Gaffney. Yeah. And it, it didn't really work. I thought Gary O'Neill was very, very busy in the first half as well. He was racking up the passes and he was controlling it. First 20, 25 minutes. But like I said, the momentum went out of the game, but... The second half, I felt we really pushed on, and it was just it wasn't to be. I think to sum it up, I don't think each either keeper made a save. I remember seeing the stats at half time, and it was like zero shots for us, zero on target. Yeah. And that I was like, yeah, that, that sums it up. It was one of those um, games, you know. But they came up with a game plan to stifle us and to kick lumps out of us. Let's be honest, and um, it worked for them. It worked, and they they didn't really press either. They kind of let us have the ball, and then in the in the middle of the park, they were really pressing. So, uh, Horgan got into team of the week as well. Know those horrific team of the weeks that they do every week. 
Yeah. Or I'm going into it. I don't know how. Uh, Anamaha Suhan, the centre uh, half, the big boy who quite kicked Aaron Green, he got into I went, it. I went into the game thinking, by the way, I blame Jonesy for this draw because he, in the suite before the, before the game, he was way too confident. He was like, oh no, 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 I'm very confident yet. Oh no, I think we'll, we'll win handy enough. I'm like, I'm just thinking, this is a Stephen O'Donnell team. Mm-hmm. I know we beat them 3-0 once, all right, in Tala, but where we, we took advantage of their ridiculous offside trap three times. But, I knew it was going to be tight and in the circumstances I'll, I'll settle for the point given the two injuries just that was the story of the day really um, if we had won the game we, we'd already have more points than our first three games last season I was I was dying to use that stat but we drew um, Dundalk the first Irish team to come away from Tala with a result since draw the last May wow so there had been 10 domestic wins in a row in Tala, 9 in a row in the league, which was the best since 1993. Um, also 9. If we had done one more, I didn't say it last week because I was trying to save for this week, it would have been the best since 13 at Milltown from 1964 to 1966. Profit stats. So we didn't, we didn't uh, better the 93 run the RDS. Other observations, Prof. Um, what did I get from this Dundalk? I like I said, I was a little bit more impressed with Dundalk than I I thought I would have. That that fell at number fifteen. He was a, a unit, an absolute tank of a bloke, twenty years of age. Um, I wasn't mad about him as a footballer, but I think in the same vein that we have Keely on, he was probably more of a Keely type of player. Where Keely admits, "Oh shit, football just kick people." <laughs> That type of player. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I, th- I think Gullen is. Everyone's gonna put Gullen in their fancy football this season, or this week anyway, because he scored a free kick. I don't. I don't think there was too much. He didn't cause too much trouble. But mm. other than that, I think I'm confident. Um, they came out and they just. Do you know what? Had tip. Had tip of a hat to to O'Donnell, and he just stifled us. So there's not much more you can mm. say on a prof. Yeah, like we said, the subs the, the subs played well. Greener and Watts. Honahan was was really good as well. I'm impressed with him so far in the two games. Um, he's settled right in. Um, Pigo will come into contention again in March. I think Bradger said, which means draw it on March first. Um, obviously Lee Grace is is on the bench at the moment as well. Um, soon Pigo will come straight back in. Honahan, if he keeps going the way he's gone. I loved can, how Honahan was can very stake his claim. Yeah. Did, what what but, do you think of him playing with his both feet? Yeah. He was he at one stage there was a ball in the forest half and it came at him a pace out left where Grace would normally be, he took it down and he just stroked a pass out I think it might have been Cavo or possibly Clark at the time. And he just looked so confident on both feet. It was really, really good. Yeah. Excellent. I'm looking forward to seeing him the again. The thing is now, is he gonna shift out to wing back? <laughs> We'll talk, we'll save that for starting levels of predictions. Um, I hope it's not Burns. Because I'd rather Burns stay where he is. Yeah. He wasn't signed as a wing back, was he? Um yeah, we kinda of talked about Hennessy already. Um he didn't actually give that free against Ferugia. It was only because the Lions been waived for it. Um Our bench told a story, didn't it? Like there was it it Couple showed how many players were missing. Like there was one player I didn't even recognise from the I mean, I'm sure if I had been following the National Senior Cup with Rollstone more closely, I'd recognise him, but I honestly didn't know who that was, one of the players. Um, 
David in the LMS group is David King, is it? Kinger. King uh, creation. He says, Glenn will definitely be bringing out the these get the trophy tonight after this. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, the attendance gear. 7610. So really, really impressive. I have to say, I was doubtful of the arrangements of the stands at first, but it was a masterstroke. When you think about it, the North Stand looked amazing with the minimum amount of fans they could get in. What was the minimum? The, I, th- I looked. It was 500, 500 in the President's plus, Cup. Man. Easily, easily. Yeah, I was looking at it throughout the game and I was like. 1,000, I'm going to say. Right? Three quarters full. So you had a really good crowd in the North, full stand in the main, full so stand none, in the South. None in the East stands. All about optics, yeah. though. Yeah. Got, I was getting texts from our, uh, our friend in Hamburg, Sam, and he said it looks amazing. So it looks brilliant. The whole stand looks great. So optics are a big thing here. So big shout out to the ticket office. And the north stand looked. It just looked quality. Every now and then I just have a, have a glance at it because mm. I was I was in it last week. So this time I'm looking at it, and it just looked phenomenal. Um, Dundalk fans had a Yemen flag for some reason. <laughs> uh, we went back to the points after. Tell me about the points, Prof. How were the points? Points. The points down, went down very well as always. Uh, the points good stumbling distance from myself in Crumlin <laughs> chatting to to Carl Kearns and Booker Carl Kearns he's been to one game so or maybe two he's doing well he's on a roll he's back on a roll he he's is. back I think he's beaten last season's tally already <laughs> talking to him and Booker and Dan Fulham and we should say well done to Dan Fulham on the ticketing app which was a complete success uh, it's absolutely brilliant he was there. He was hustling all day before the game. After the, after the game, I actually just didn't get a chance to do it. And when I told him that, he just he just immediately was on me. He was like, do you have an Android? And it was like, here, picture that. Boom. App is done. And then I had me take out my phone. Seconds. It's just seamless. It's so easy and handy. Then and My four were just automatically uploaded onto all my, all my tickets. Mm. And then, I was kind of doing the rounds in the room and I was was approaching some of the more elderly gentlemen and mm. they pretty much were at school of me and I it, it was at the stage I was like okay I just thought mm. you might need a hand and they were <laughs> yeah. like no I don't need a hand I felt like a senior citizen yeah. and Dan was showing me I was like yeah fair enough I need. was saying to the lads earlier on I couldn't get this couldn't get the icon on, on, on my phone on the screen <laughs> to show me so I was getting them to put credit in my phone after as well <laughs> stick 20 euro credit in my phone and, there yeah I mean I feel like the fans were really happy with how how simple and handy this is and how innovative it is. And this is a quote from Bucket, who, okay, Bucket doesn't speak for the entire Trevor Gowers fan base, but I thought this was a great quote. He says, I came in and on the first day of the season, Dan has given us the best non-football thing the club has done in years. Excellent. It's absolutely brilliant. So you can go now, get your tickets online, QR code, scan it, go straight in. There's more to come as well. Don't forget that. There's more to come with this app. It's it, There's so much more that can be improved. It's still on the trial trial basis as well. So big shout out to Dan. and uh, A brilliant, brilliant initiative and a successful one as well. Mero Prof, chief protagonist in the LMS <laughs> and a fellow podcast friend who we're catching up with. Every week, the Rovers shot his gas after a draw or defeat. My personal favourite today was someone saying, more food reviews than football reviews. Some people better watching Bake Off. <laughs> Hot topic, prof. 
Hot topic. Um, um, Dennis Donahue, and I heard another person mention this as well. Um, someone was asking, is Kean Barrett the first Rovers player to play for Rovers in three generations, as in his dad and his granddad has played for Rovers? Sure enough, Robert Goggins was on top of this, and he wrote about it in the programme. So Robert wrote this in last Friday's programme. In coming off the bench last Friday, Keane joined a small group of players that have played for the club since Talla, whose fathers have also played in the Green and White. Keane's father, Graham, played during the 2009-2010 seasons. That list also consists of Darren Nugent, his father is Martin. Actually, Maloney brings that up in next week's show. Yes. We didn't know that at the time. Uh, Sean Hoare, Mick, was his dad. Daniel what? and... Yeah. Daniel and Richie Purdy. Richie, we knew that yeah, one. Yeah, we had uh, we had him on the show. Um, and Evan Ozam. Of course, that was Paul Ozam. 94. Yeah. League winner, prof. Yeah, he was injured for half of them. Mm. Um, another Tada connection is our current CEO, John Martin, whose father played for the Hoops during the 1970s, and a lad who made his competitive debut in the Leinster Senior Cup this year with the under-20s and featured the... F- the first team during pre-season is Matthew Britton, son of Matt. We knew that oh, as well. Yes. John, so, the league slip alumni. So, Robert is hinting that Kean is unique because he says Kean Barrett may hold a special place in that corner of Hoops history, though, as his grandfather, Gary, was on the team during the Giles era from 1980 to 1982. Ooh. Three generations of Rowers players. Madness. Great stat, Prof. And the Gog. Other results, Prof. Bose 2, Sligo 2, and injury time equaliser by James Clark. I like this guy, he's a good player. I had him centre mid for my uh, fancy football. He got me a couple of points. He um, was in team of the season, wasn't he? And he only started, what was it, 17 games or something? 17 games. Yeah. He is a good player, I'll give him that. Came from our, our academy, from what, from what I know. Um, Bose with their Estonian striker, Rean Court, getting a goal as well. And Sligo, Fabrice Hartman, Prof. This guy we had an eye on for a while. He took in. Uh, the second goal for Sligo but a late late equaliser by Clark got them a point Pat Hoopen scored in his debut and Derry's 2-1 win at home to Drada and if you watch the highlights they have been Drada were given a sliver of the stand at the very very start oh, so the, that, yeah. the opposite end of where we always are so we'll make leaving the ground very very interesting meaning Rovers will have to leave first are you saying it could be another war zone no comment <laughs> um, Galway nil St. Pat's won Galway had 60% possession with Pat's going long for this one prof and the mm. pitch was probably the worst pitch I've seen in a long long time for the start of a season I don't know how it cut up so badly I've actually not seen these highlights I want to watch back now because you you and someone else mentioned the pitch so I want to see it for myself plus there's um, now a package which you just want to watch the goals you can watch the goals or you can just watch the individual League of Ireland highlights which are brilliant oh, yeah. they're brilliant 4,000 at this game which I t- had a look at Galway's socials I think they're saying that's an opening day record for them yep. 4,000 fans and also the bars um, open prof we're going to the locker room is it still called the locker it's, room I think, it's a, I think it's a different bar altogether yeah. but it's a, listen it's yeah. a bar I won't say too much about Galway's socials um, it was an interesting week shall we say yeah. it led to uh, probably club statement of the year um, which I thought was a bit of a non-apology apology but you know when Galway United make the Sunday world it's bad yeah and they made the Tribune it's bad it's bad 
Pat Hoopman scored in his debut and Derry's 2-1 win. We spoke about that. We have Waterford 1, Shelburne 1. Boydie Prof. Broke me, broke me hard, he did. Your mate, Asamoah got the force for Waterford and uh, a feisty shells. My first bet in probably three years. I was just about to win 180 euro. And I saw the update on the FEI Connect app. I was silly boy as well. I was sick. I was. His uh, temper got the better of him again, and he was got sent, sent off. off. Yeah, Ryan McDyer asked me as if I know. I know I like the other stats scare, but even I am not crazy enough to be aware of this one. He said, "Is Sean Boyd the first to do the hat trick? Meaning he came on as a sub, scored, and then got it. And then no, no, not just red. It's very specific. This stat. Go on. He came on off the bench, scored." And got a straight red card. Apparently two yellows doesn't even count. Is he the first since Graham Burke on the opening day of 2017 Dundalk. in Dundalk? To my, which I answer, probably. I'm not willing to check. How do you even start? <laughs> How do you even start that? Back in the day though, I was crazy enough. I would just be like, oh, I need to know this. And I would just go straight onto the results and yeah. just keep looking at all the red cards. But I don't have the time anymore, Gareth. So I'm not <laughs> going like, to do it. Okay, Bowes of Bowes 5 registered defenders on Friday night for the fourth game of the season. One done their ACL, one dislocated their knee and reset it on the pitch and remained on for the last 10 minutes. And the other one lost consciousness on the way out of the ground after the game. So tough times for Bowes on the playing field, Prof. That was one of those WhatsApp things forward on to you. Um, so bad news for Bowes. Um, yeah, so Cornwall did his ACL on his first game back. So no Talbot, Buckley or Cornwall, which... Bowles would feel would tell you is the spine of their team. The most shocking part of all this, I thought, was that Devine described Cornwall as an extremely talented player. I that just that just floored me to be honest. <laughs> I was I think I'm getting the boots out myself if he's extremely talented. Like five sides coming up, prof. Just dust them off. I won't embarrass myself again. Uh, Max Mada is back at Sligo, prof. Um, so that's going to be interesting. They've goal scoring out makes it makes things a little bit better for them. That changes my prediction a bit now. Sligo were... It has to. They were two minutes away from winning the buzz and they've got Max Matter back. Yeah. So they're not as weak as we thought they were now, are they? I don't think so, but it's early days. It's wasn't early wasn't days, there a well. chance of McGinty being recalled at one stage? Because is it Oxford he pays for it? I think so, yeah. They, Oxford. Their keeper got injured. Uh, no, no, we were... Ta- it's uh, Wrexham. Wrexham, sorry. Oh, Flanagan, is it? Or... Whatever keeper it was, but they made that permanent as well. So ah, I get you. They're really struggling there. But the prediction um, league, prof, bad, bad week for myself. Twenty-seven points. I think Derek Kenny is fifty-four on top. It's a bad week, but I'll bounce back. I'll bounce back. A lot of hoops in it. Over, I think a hundred. Oh, so well done to Joe, Joe like, Turner, Joe predictions. I like this from Joe because he's in the the LMS group. Um, when he was doing the tally. He only had 76 at that stage. You're saying it's 100 now, is it? I think it's but when he checked at a 76, he said all 76 entrants picked the Rovers win. Every 96. 96. 96 in the end picked the Rovers win. Every Jesus one of Christ. Every single one of them. Just shows you how we all feel. Again, I blame Jonesy. <laughs> so, the, Jonesy the actor. Thespian. Currently sunning himself on the slopes of France. He's away oh, again. Tell him he's gone for the skiing, all right, yeah. He said he'd give it a go. So he's doing well. He's getting the lessons. The I lessons are him, essential. I asked him about season two of Northern Lights. He says uh, he's still riding at the moment. It's yeah. currently screening in Belgium, prof. Ooh. He says he has to wait for all the usual stuff for it to be green lit and, and all that. So 
Absolutely. So big shout out to Jonesy. Looking for any extras? <coughs> so prof, we and prof looking for a, for a role. Here. I mean, if John Cody can be an extra in Fair City, surely we can be an extra in Northern Lights. We can just be standing there in a coat for no reason in the background. That's it. Yeah, drinking a, a warm pint of Beamish. <laughs> Um, women's team news Savannah McCarthy on Sunday underwent successful ankle in surgeries following an injury sustained in Saturday's pre-season for Indian Galway so the full time whistle was blown early Galway won their winners at Moyen Villa in Hedford so uh, all the best to Savannah and hopefully she uh, heals quickly with the academy news brought the Roadstone project last week on Valentine's Day 2013 group came from 3-0 down to draw 3 all with Millwall to end their London tour so thanks to Idemo Millwall for all your support and Gideon Tete has joined that loan town on loan for the season so good for you loanies out now prof we never actually um, like I never spoke to Brazzer or Gideon I know I, we quizzed Gideon a couple of times last season but never actually got an answer on that one as to why Gideon came off the bench in a European game looked decent I don't know what game it was was it Luda Goretz or I just remember Ferzoy getting having a good I feel like game, it was either it? Bulgaria or Hungary he came off the bench but he went from making European appearances to not making a competitive appearance in all 2023. Remember that yeah. point in that strange? That's football, prof. And I was in Lone, at Lone Town, so best luck to him because I remember, I think it was his debut of the FEI Cup game against Bangor Celtic. I remember he came on then and was like, who is this guy? Who is this? Exactly. So, yeah. John yeah, Cody the same. He was yeah. very, very impressed. Best luck to Gideon. I hope he, uh, hope he does well at Lone. Justin Ferrazoy, prof, match-winning assist for Frosinone Calcio against Roma's under-19s on Sunday, 94th minute. And Kevin Zeffi was also on the bench for Roma, so two former hoops facing off in the Serie A reserve leagues. And after the entertainment, intrigue and underdog stories of AFCON and the Asian Cup, it was a two hosts that won Ivory Coast and Qatar. Ivory Coast are African champions despite losing two games. Scrape, scraping through the group as fourth best Third, third place best team and sacking their coach mid-tournament fitting that the winner was uh, scored by Sebastian Haller who returned to action a year ago after beating cancer and big shout out mm. to Brian from Direct Provision he called it at the very very start when I went up and had a chat with him and I said to him I said I was feeling um, who was I calling Prof, I think it was calling one of the North African teams and he says Ivory Coast are going to do it and I think they had lost the game at that stage. I said, you're a madman. <laughs> Text him last week. He says, you got to bang on. He goes, it's a I bit know. like the World Cup. If anybody tipped Argentina after they were beaten by Saudi Arabia, mm. fair play to them. Um, I went back and listened to the hotline, the, Africa, the AFCON section. Anybody get it? Uh, nobody tips Cape Verde to reach the quarterfinals. Someone said, yeah, maybe an outside chance. Not, not having that. No one actually outright predicted the last day. We all, we all gave them a fighter's chance of getting yeah. in the group, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, in hindsight, Ghana were really struggling going into that tournament. They were actually playing shit, and Cape Verde were solid. So, in hindsight, it wasn't that much of a shock. No, even Samuel Etu's harsh words couldn't get them through the tournament as well, Prof. Um, in terms of who predicted uh, Ivory Coast, none of the callers predicted them, but Glenn Dunn did say Ivory Coast because Nathan, his son, told him. So he claimed that he was an AFCON expert. So we'll give it to Nathan Dunn. Nathan Gray. He tipped uh, Ivory Coast to be AFCON champions. And yeah, that's, that's your AFCON news. So, Prof, we have some Bundesliga news. Did you see there was a tweet? It was br- <laughs> I had me crack it up. Um, or an X or a post, whatever way you want to call it. There was a lot of nuns playing football in um, a five-a-side. 
and they were dressed out, decked out into the nines, and someone just reposted and said the Numbers League. Happy <laughs> <laughs> stitches. Excellent punnage there. Uh, meanwhile, in Germany, Bayern Leverkusen make a big statement in their hunt for a fourth Bundesliga title by beating Bayern, who have won the last 11 titles in a row. Only longer ongoing title winning streak is Europe. In Europe at the moment, wants to Ludogorets, our former Champions League opponent, who have won the last mm. 12 Bulgarian titles, and I don't think they're looking too good themselves. And this is the topic of debate with me and Rob Lavelle. And he thinks it's done and dusted. It's looking more like it now, but there's a lot of games to play, Prof, a lot of football. But I think what's more heartbreaking than anything is that Harry Kane left to win a trophy. Oh my God, yeah. And he's gone to Bayern <laughs> Munich and now they can't... Like, it's like, what? come on. Like, you just you can't win it's a trophy. It's almost written in the stars, wasn't it's, it? It's ridiculous. Um, And this, I haven't actually mentioned this to Gary yet. So you can get Gary's real-time reaction to this. Um, the Euros are in Germany and they kick off I'm not sure I think it's like 14th 15th mid-June it's going to be the place to be isn't it Um, I'm thinking that Tifties are going to have some German themed episodes in the build up to the Euros so you just mentioned Sam in in Hamburg yes we're going to have we're going to continue with our author series so I'm going to try and get on a guy who who just is writing a book on Euro eighty eight, which Ireland uh, famously played in, beat England. And um, we played two German clubs, Schalke in nineteen sixty nine in the fog, which no one saw. <laughs> I asked Jim and said, "Do you remember this game?" I was like, "Yeah, no one, no one saw this game, Carl. Just too much fog." Uh, we played Bayern Munich in sixty six. We we've interviewed Mick Kieran about that a couple of years ago. So there's a few German links like that. Um, do you remember Marcus? We interviewed him. For yeah, we interviewed the, him the hotline, was it? At the AIK game. So I think he, he lives in Sweden. Now, yes. Yeah. Remember, yes. Yeah. And he came to the game again at Jura Gardens. Wasn't, no, I'm thinking of the Germans we interviewed for Rennie's. Oh, there was two Germans, yeah, yeah. One of them was brilliant. It was like really well edited. Oh, he was like a professional. Yeah. A radio we host. have to get Frankfurt involved that Fiegert will get yeah, help us just, out with that I was just about to say Fiegert and Frankfurt and I think Jorg we interviewed him as well since we had them on since we did that in memoriam for Rennie Frankfurt have won the Europa League so there's something new to talk about absolutely yeah that's so a big one a is there any more trips in a mini I think there was a mini trip there with with Rennie they they rent they got some sort of Mini Cooper and they were trekking all over Germany but it's something uh, definitely Tifty's on tour prof that could be a little Tifty's trip couldn't it a little trip to Germany <laughs> Heidenheim um, is the team I want to go and see they're doing well at the minute and as we've been saying next week's show is part two of the 80s from 1987 up until the very end of 1989 and I threw in a bit of Irish international stuff during it across most of it was about the Talca boycott and cram we were in Talca and then Daily Mount, we were homeless. But there was a little bit of Ireland, like Ireland qualified for Euro 88, that was a big deal. And uh, Jim mentioned he was there. He was actually at all three games. So I want to hear Jim Conroy's stories from uh, Germany, 88. Oh, that's, a, that's a special on its own, Prof. <laughs> right, so Prof, up next, we've got starting 11s on predictions. <laughs> Oof. Who's gonna do it? You gonna do it? I'm gonna do it. I've got one here. If you've got one there, then just go ahead. Right. Okay. I'm gonna go Leon. I'll tell you what I think he's gonna do at the wing backs. I think he's gonna go Cavo on Hanahan. 
Yeah, I think you're reading my script here, Prof. I'm going to go Cleary, Hore, Grace, Cavo, Honaghan, Watts, Gary O'Neill, Green, Gaff, Bournes. Green's going to be needed for this. It's a scrap. Yeah, it's a scrap in Tulsa Park. Green is more suitable for... There's a lot of doodling there. As the, the lone, the lone uh, striker up in Talca. Like we were saying earlier, our wingbacks, our pacey wingbacks wouldn't have even been effective here yeah. uh, on this tight pitch. We know what's going to be. It's going to be tight. There probably won't be any goals. We might see Dan Cleary hit the crossbar. It's yeah. about it. We've, sh- we've, do- we've boyed, suspended and Borton and el- eligible for them. So we're looking at probably yeah. Shane Farrell up top and Jarvis maybe. Well, that is good news that Boyd is... Suspended. Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go tight one nil. Oh, I've already told you my prediction. It's it's absolutely gonna be nil tight nil. one nil and a, a goal from a set piece. I'm gonna say Cleary or Honan. I have Honan. I'm not gonna say too much about my fancy football because very ambitious. One goal in this game. Yeah. Like that's that's one more than there actually will be in the game. Uh, this is the 200th league meeting between the two old rings end rivals. Hat tip to Robert again for this stat. So, 200 league meeting between Roberts and Shelburne, which goes all the way back to the early 1920s. Um, people kept thinking this game was sold out. Um, people thought that the tickets had sold out in 15 minutes flat. But then, no, you just have to refresh the page. And even as of Monday evening, there was some left. And then there was an announcement that there was 30 left on Tuesday morning. Tuesday, as we record here now. So, so yeah, no, there were tickets. As of recording, there were still some left. Yes, so as of, no, as, of recording, as of recording for Shells, yeah, officially done now. The SLO tweeted out something saying we're officially done and dusted. Oh, so they'll prof. So they'll so they'll Richie Carroll, Richie Carroll, yeah, for the stadium of the future, as it was dubbed forty years ago, for a kip and the worst of it away view in the league. Will someone call Joe Duffy? No, of course not, because it's not Rovers. James Low, James Low reminded us. Remember that fella who was actually the Shells media officer? Remember that fella from Shells ringing up multiple radio stations when we upped their price to 20 euro? I'm sure he had tweets up as well. Yeah. Not a single thing said about this. 24 for the stand in Richmond now. By the way, I'm not criticising this. I I agree with this. I think we should start valuing our product at this stage. Yep. We've been 15 euro for, what, the guts of 20 years? Everything around us has gone up. Everything, yeah. cost of living, food, petrol, diesel, gas, no. everything. Everything has gone up, so I think a, a steady increase is okay. I'm okay with it. I think a lot of clubs across the board are doing it. It's yeah. it's fair. It's time. Yeah, it's time. It's, it's time. time, Prof. So, Prof, up next, it's you and Dermot Keeley. So, talking to us all the way from Lance Roddy, it's former Roberts player and manager Dermot Keeley, who was a major part of the foreigner winning side in the 1980s. And he had a lengthy and very successful career with a number of clubs in the League of Ireland. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dermot. Thank you. You had uh, Mick Byrne over there with you actually last week. Did you have a good catch-up with Mick? Yeah, he comes over regularly. Um, I think uh, his, his Mrs. bought him a ticket for his birthday. So uh, he was uh, he was over enjoying himself as he as he can. Do you still keep in touch with some of the robbers for on the road team? No, not particularly. I keep in touch with Rovers, and like obviously with results and stuff. Uh, and I know Mick, I would uh, have occasionally. But uh, 
it's like everything, you know. I, I think if we still got together, we'd have a great night. But, uh, you, you know, life goes on and uh, people go different directions, I think. Yeah, we've loads of questions in sent in by fans, some of your former teammates as well. This is from a fan, Albert. I think you might know him. He says, can I buy you a beer in Lanzarote during the week? Don't know if you know Albert. That's it there, always welcome. Yeah. Uh, when did you stop running the pub over there, actually? And uh, what are you doing now? I was actually quite lucky. Lucky and unlucky. We we were um, due to get uh, signed a, a contract, a, a new contract. We, we'd been there for a couple of years. And then we wanted work done because the, the place needed uh, new toilets bit by bit. And uh, he said no that he, he wasn't going to do it. So um, I don't know whether I would have accepted that, but the pandemic hit and I hadn't signed a new contract. So the delay worked in my favour because we would have had to pay um, rent, even though we wouldn't have had any customers. So like lots of things in my life, I've been very fortunate. And if I'd signed the team, if I hadn't been as aggressive about getting the work done and delaying the contract, uh, we would have got stung. I, I would have had to go, well, either pay the money or, or go back to Ireland. So yeah. I would have been going back to Ireland because we wouldn't have had, we would have had no income, but still have to pay a rent. Even it would have been reduced. Obviously, but it would have been. I would have had no other income coming in. Aside from now, you're still loving life out there, are you? Yeah, I walked three nights in a in a in the old town in a pub called Paddy's Bar. Um, so I, I walk Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday, and it's it keeps you taking over. That's the holiday fun. That's I know it's a holiday island. We like to travel. It's like we've been in Vietnam and. Thailand and Malaysia all the last two years so um, my dear lady takes whatever comes in and puts it in the, the phone before I get a chance to spend it <laughs> and I need that otherwise it would we'd never have anything I'd, I'd, I'd waste it so we'll go right back to the start of your career in 1975 you won the FBI Cup at Home Farm um, playing alongside your brother Joe, so they were the first amateur side to win the cup in forty years. Was that a huge upset at the time? Yeah, it was. It was huge, um, and there was no sign of it. I think at the time we played Shelbourne, and they got really good players: Mick, Mick Lawler, uh, Mick Gannon, good side. And but they finished fourteenth in the league, and I think we were thirteenth. It was like with the two. I think we're the two worst teams in the league, and but they were professional, and they were considered obviously. It was considered that they were going to beat us. Um, that would have been norm, and I mean, anybody looking at it would have said the same thing. But in probably the worst cup final ever, it was televised. I think it was the first cup final to be to be televised. And I don't think they don't won for 10 years after that. I think we set the game back about 10 years because it was an awful match. And we, we won, I think, one nothing. Um, but again, winning it, 
cup so early, really in your debut season. Um, but it also kind of knocked me on the cup. Like uh, I said, like if Home Farm could win it, really anybody can win it. Just a cup now. I don't have the same opinion when we're winning leagues. I'm winning leagues and a cup. That's I think that's a different ball game altogether. You moved on the same paths where you play with Terry Venables, who sadly passed away only last November. What do you remember about Terry? He was a little fat bastard. <laughs> I didn't like him. He was arrogant. Um, Toddy knew everything. I didn't like him. He, he was only over collecting a few bob. There was at the time when they were bringing George Best and, and numerous um Big names over to to uh, I I suppose to boost the league, but it was really to boost Gates. Uh, it was a quick way of making a few quid if you got like we did in Pats with Garden Banks. You got them in and they they packed in your car, but it was the wrong direction. It was uh, I think it the me the league, and I never I never I never liked them coming in. I now when I insult Terry Venable, I don't. Maybe it's the way, just because he was part of that uh, thing. Come over, laugh at us, take the money, go home. Uh, I, I, not something ever sat with me. I didn't sit well with me. And with Dundalk, uh, league and two FAI Cups, and you had that famous European Cup run as well, where you so nearly eliminated Celtic, and that all started with the Linfield riots, so... The whole campaign was was a wild one. Yeah, well, the Linfield matches were mad. Um, the force we should have been called off. I mean, with the crowds, it was just mental. I, I've never seen. I've never seen that like in my life. Never. I mean, we played on. If you split the pitch down lengthways in into towards. We played in two thirds of a pitch. No one would go out because I, I can remember Jimmy Dainty coming on as a reserve, and McLaughlin had told him to go and hook the line. And he came up. McLaughlin said to me, "Make sure he hooks the line." And I said to him, "Jimmy, go out the line." And he looked at me and just said, "There, you know I'm afraid of you." And I, I said, "What?" He said, "But I'm not going out there." And I just said to him, "Well, sure, they're all your fans." He said, "They're all Brits," because so, he was called Billy the Brit. And uh, he just said, "I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going out." And he didn't. He stayed in. You couldn't. You were getting pelted with with missiles. And a fella trying to shimmy up the pole to get the uh, the flag down, the Irish flag down. It must have been four or five times, and they, they were pelting them with with rocks and whatever else. And he, he still kept going up. And he took it down eventually. And it was just, it was bananas. It was just, I think that the, the referee just decided that he was going to finish the game and that was it. Like, so, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, you end up going up north two seasons with Gantoran, which leads me to my next question from Jason Maloney. He says, Rovers versus Bowes or Gantoran versus Linfield? So I guess he's asking, which is the tastier derby? For me, see, we were such a good side with Rovers. That Rovers balls thing wasn't wasn't big. Everybody wanted to beat us. 
we were we were such a good side that it never I don't think I ever felt Rovers and Bowles was a derby. Now I know it's all changed. So definitely, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, you've got to go back. You're going back 40 years, like, you know, it's, it's a long time. So the things that are relevant now are the feelings that are uh, applicable now when they're, well, like, Bo, like, I'm going back, I'm trying to recollect um, my memory. I don't remember Bowles ever being a threat. Like, I, I wouldn't have never, I wouldn't have gone out of our way. Now, I know that Tulloch, when Tulloch was playing, they good sides. But when I was at Rome, was, uh, I don't think we just felt like they were derbies. It was just something we went out. We beat them most times. So it, it wasn't that we were, uh, that we didn't respect people. We just, we, we just expected to win. It was, it was in our, it was, it was in our psyche. Whereas with Clinton and, Linfield, it was um, Celtic Rangers. Now, I know Linfield, uh, sorry, Glentoran had always played people from the South, they Tony McIndy, Terry Conroy, and at that stage, they had four um, inverted commas Catholics, you know, but I was deemed to be uh, a Catholic because I came to the South. Linfield ha- had had a bar that they, they, they wouldn't sign Catholics. So it was, although Glen Thornton were from East Belfast, which is a Protestant area, they they never had that attitude. So, but those two, the matches up, the, those derby matches, I think, was, were, were in that era, I think, were, were the ones. That, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have thought twice about playing balls. You just went down and beat them. It was, it was easy. Uh, your first manager's job was UCD as player manager in 1983, but you're only two months in there when Jim McLaughlin persuaded you to come to Rovers. So do you remember that conversation with Jim um, as you suddenly decided to leave the students? Look, yeah, yeah, you'd have to know me. I don't really do. It wasn't that simple. I, most of your room would be good. I don't think things too deeply. But... Um, I I had been told by Tony, the doc, Tony O'Neill, that we could build a team and I'd gotten in Adam O'Neill and I got Robbie Gaffney and uh, got good players in. And we were decent. So Paddy Dunning was playing centre-half. We were decent. And all of a sudden, that few weeks in, Tony came to me and said, well, look, I can't pay the players anymore. We're going to have to release the the pros, the semi-pros. And I said, no, that I wouldn't have that. I, I, I have a thing about signing contracts. If you sign a contract, you sign a contract. So I'm not going back on reward two months later. And then all of a sudden, McLaughlin came in. Now, it's only now. I've, I'm, I've written a book and I'll be released, <laughs> released in October. And I'm going to say that it was only then McLaughlin's hands are all over this. He was he's the best manager ever for me. But he was devious boy, I tell you. And I think he went along. He decided for whatever reason that the club, the team needed uh 
<laughs> something different compared to all the class they had. You are sitting talking with Jack and McDonald and Peter Eckersberg. I mean, two smashing centre-halves. Jack could play football. They all played football. And then I think he needed something. Anyway, whatever it was, I think he went to town. He said, look, I'll give you money and we'll get him. And they came to me. And after Tony came to me and said that, I was, I was up. And then all of a sudden, McLaughlin brings me and says, look, I hear you're having trouble with UCD. Would you like to come to Rovers? So, I, like, having said to Tony, I'm not standing over. So, look, when I left, the players all stayed. The players all stayed. They all got paid. So, whether that was true... Of whether I made too much out of it now or not, I don't know. So at Rovers, um, four leagues, uh, three doubles. Uh, you must have uh, a lot of great memories from the league and cup games. But if I had to push you for one or two standout highlights, what what springs to mind from the four years? Ah, uh, I not the results, not not. Not the um, not individual results, individual performances. Just the just a bunch of fellas that were there. I mean, the, the talent. All I think we there was a, a league of Ireland selection. I think there was nine Rovers players in to go away. I mean, it was a phenomenal team. Phenomenal, absolutely. You know, just being in it. Nothing, nothing stands. It all seems like a blur to me. It was just, it was just four years of heaven. You know, you just, like, you have a privilege to play with so many really, really good players. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I, if, if I think about it now, I, I probably would come up maybe with some standout, but just probably that the, when McLaughlin left the year I was manager and playing, at the same time, and and won a double, and I think we won it, um, really well. I think we we the the record was better than the previous records, and we won the cup final. I think three nothing. I think that was probably for me, and it was the end. And now I didn't know at the time, but it also as well as signalling my appearance on the stage as a manager, it also. It also was the time when Kilcoyans decided to sell um, uh, Milton. Um, obviously, you'd, you spoke about how good the players were, the likes of Pat right. Byrne and, and all that, but what made the team so consistent and how were high standards maintained and how did they keep the hunger to keep winning leagues year after year? The hunger comes from the players. I think when you win one league... The second one is hard to win because you drop. You know, you've already done it. And there's a tendency to drop. But Rovers the only team I didn't captain, ever. Popborn was absolutely the best Miffy player I've ever played with. Had the privilege to play with. But he was a tough boy. And he had standards. And they all talk about leadership groups and this day and age, but in the team, McLaughlin liked senior players and you basically let your, you manage yourself unless something was wrong. So Pat would have been a 
Me, I suppose, as, as the back four fella and Pat Klingo was there as well at the start. They're very strong characters. So when you win the second league, then you're going, whoa, hold on now. You know, this is not bad. And then it, I think that becomes your, your motivation. Like the Corden team that won four in a row. They won't need any motivation next year to go for five because it's never been done before. So that in itself keeps your feet in the ground. If you can keep the players, I know as you get older, you've got to get some of them out and then another fella's in. Well, I found even the year that I managed, it's very difficult to get people in that are good enough to play in the team. They all come in at a shot. So some of them uh, improve with time and some of them just don't make it. They just haven't got the ability to step up. But it was a great, there was great team camaraderie, I suppose, the board. Uh, you know, we, we got, we'd, we played hard. You know, we played, we, we gave it our best, but it was always a bit of crack after. There was always, again, in that era, it was, you know, you went to the, the pub after the game and had a few points. It, it wasn't like now where you've got to rehydrate. We rehydrated with Guinness. Uh, you said Pierre Eccles was in touch this morning. Uh, yeah. He sent, he sent me this. He said, we just had a ball dealing with our, in our time with aggressive centre forwards. Anybody escape my clutches, Dermot would just dust them down. We had a great understanding together. So you and Peter, how good a partnership was that? Fantastic. <laughs> we had a great record. Um, Jack was in for uh, Jack McDonough had been in for I think for the first two years and then and Peter was there when I came and Peter lost his place when I came so you would think that he would um, have a, an extra rivalry but he didn't he never did and then when Jacko went to uh, France Peter just played in and it was just like same old same old and never it, it never changed he was he was different than Peter. Very good. Peter was very good. He was really good centre half. Good centre, good in the air. Those days you're playing number five was the stand up. You kick the ball, kick the fella, kick the ball. And then the four played off him. But with Peter, Peter had huge ability on the ground. He was really underrated because Jacko was so good. Peter came in, but we didn't, we never lost, we never dropped. The thing it just just continued on. So I mean that's that's not just that's not because of me, but if if John Cody, if Harry Kenny, like they know the ropes so well, and then all of a sudden Peter comes in and he's good on the ball. He, he, like he never got never got um noticed for being good on the ball, but he was. Because someone had to be the two full backs were great. I didn't pass the ball. I just put the ball from one end to the corner flag and let the two centre forwards run after. No, he wasn't getting caught in the ball. So it wasn't me. It was Peter that would have linked stuff. I just didn't want to give a goal away. And I, that my fear of that stopped everything else. I, I never, Pat one would tell you, I, I used to have a three, five second rule. If you didn't get the ball into Pat one, it was going in the corner. You just killed them. I book out and Campbell up front, just counting. I used to say to just count. Because once he gets the five, it's gone in the corner. And they used, but that was the way. I mean, that, that was the way. But Peter had the ability to 
muscle it out with people. And also to play. He, I, because of Jacko, I think Jacko was such a good player. Peter was always in the shadow. But he, he when when the time came to go in, he just he just walked in and played. He never there was never any fighting with him. There was never any you never had to shower at him or well shout at everybody. But you know, he, he was just able to come in and step up. It was great. I was I lovely speaking to him this morning. I said, it's maybe day. You've described what, what he was like a fo- as a footballer and what you were like. So this question comes in from Eamon. Uh, would you survive in the modern game? No. I wouldn't get out the door. <laughs> I'd be sent out before I got on the pitch. <laughs> I used... I mean, Mick Bourne will tell you this. I, I, I would stand in the tunnel going out or in the, before you go out and I'd be talking at centre forwards. I'm going to get you. And you watch... It's not today, it's not your day. You should go on out and play outside left because I'm chasing. And all that bear was going on before the match started. If that was on now, you wouldn't get on the pitch at all. And then this getting the ball off the goalkeeper. Nah, not, this not them, I'm afraid. I, when I turn, if, for me to get a ball, I've got to be turning facing the goal. But if I get a ball facing my own goal and there's I can hear noise behind me. I don't care far away there. It's gone back over the wall. Or you know, I'm not. I couldn't do it. I, I I just wasn't. I wasn't capable of it. But I knew I wasn't. So you know, there's, there's a place for. <laughs> I can't say the word. I have to think of for a talk. <laughs> That's not the word I'm thinking of. But uh, there's a place for someone like that in a team. If there's good players around them and we had exceptional players. I mean, you if I thumped up, if I put the ball on, Papa would be coming back right in my face, telling me to hold on, to wait for him, and I'll give him the ball. And I just say to him, I'm not waiting, man. That's a five seconds. If you're not here, it's gone. So I think he would have enough respect to me to say, Grant, you're okay, that's the way you want to play. Or have to play. But me getting on the ball and I see them now, the ball doesn't go out to the box and now the, the centre-half goes back and passes it to the goalkeeper. <laughs> no, 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 not me. Not me. I just, I watch it on the telly and I'm going, I, I throw my head in my hands and go, oh, no, I just, no. Playing three passes in the box before you go out. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I said I've been very lucky with football. I was on my time. This, Pat Bourne, could he play? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Jack McDonough, Peter Eccles, most of that team were good enough, I think, nearly all of them, bar me, would have been good enough to play in today's football. And that's a huge um, compliment, I think. Or, yeah, compliment to them, to the, to the amount of talent that was in and the next question is about the the relatively short seasons of 85, 86 and 86, 87. There were 22 game seasons. Did that make the title any easier to retain or did it make it any easier to win a double? Well, I could turn this back around and say one of the leagues that the current team won was during the pandemic and that was match was short. Did it make the, did it make it any easier? No. Does it take away from winning the league? 
No. So, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think. You know, you're saying, is it easier to win a league with 22 matches than with 30? I don't know. Does the quality go up in the game? I don't know. It's it's a moot point. I, 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 it's like saying that the, the COVID thing affected I, I, I joke with, with fellas with this when I say you've only won three and a half leagues, but I don't seriously is that that's the way it is. You deal with what you are. You deal with what's what's in front of you and you beat all. It doesn't make any difference whether it's 22 or 42. The fact of the matter is that you finish on top after X number of games and you win the league. Whether it be 22, 32, 12, it doesn't make any difference. You are good enough to win that. No one can say that was. I mean, you could say any time that we were so far ahead that it was easy to win. Grant, but you had to be so far ahead. The current team are gone for five in a row. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's a phenomenal achievement. I don't care whether it's 20 matches or 10 matches or 40 matches. It's the fact that no matter how many matches, every team is trying to do the same thing. They're all trying to beat you. So it doesn't get any easier whether you play 15 games or 20 games. I play twenty or thirty. It doesn't. It's not. Uh, I don't. Th- I don't think it's 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 relevant. I think great sides are great sides, and well, was this current side in forty years' time will be lauded for what they are. And I, I'm obviously out of it a bit, so I don't see it enough. I see matches on telly, but I'm not going to to. Well, his games regularly. I'm not going to any games regularly, so I'm a, I'm a little bit out of that. But I mean, it's taken forty years to do to match what else I did, and it might take another forty years before and to go five in a row. That's a whole new ball game. Like, how long is it going to be before somebody else catches that? I, I you know, it's it's. I think that's. I mean, you're talking about motivation. I mean, what what more do you want? Yeah, that that foreign row team from the eighties was it's it's been held up as the the standard, and it's almost mythical for so long. And as you say, the record lasts for forty years. But one criticism that maybe was uh, held against them was the European record. Sure. But on the other hand, you could say they had a great record in friendlies at Milltown, beating Man United and Arsenal. So. Were those friendlies important at the time? How seriously did the team take those games? Friendlies. I have no time. I, I, it's got, I have no interest. I've, we played them and they played it. They did not want to win. We, we played Arsenal. We played them. They don't count. The biggest indictment of that four-in-a-row team, my when I say my former team, the team I played in, was that we failed miserably in Europe. Absolutely. And one one reason, uh, Jim, I don't think ever was, ever believed that we could progress in Europe. I think he was happy to win leagues. Um, I was probably the same. That your your bread and butter is here. That your history is here. Like it, but it, it, it it's it's a huge. Um, there's a huge difference there. I mean, if if this team now can win a few matches in Europe, which I, which they've done already, well then, 
you know, that puts you, that puts you again, a, a, a team apart. But it, it's, I don't think we ever went into Europe expecting to, it was kind of, it was looked upon as a, well, maybe not this, maybe it's a generalization, but it, it kind of it was a bit of a jolly up. Like, you know, you, you'd won the league and you, you got picked and, and you played somewhere in, like, whatever, Estonia now, or whatever it is. It was great to play. But I don't think we never came back early, except for the Celtic match. We never came back early to, to do our stuff, like, you know, so we just took it in the round, in the round. So we came back to play. Your first game is against Bowles and your next game is against somebody like who were Atletico Madrid or whatever. So I just think it played and then you went, then that, then you came back and you didn't really expect to win. But yeah, that's my now again, recollections are different. 40 years now it changes you. You're trying to, I don't know. Yeah, I have a different, obviously, different mentality now that. Um, all those years ago, but I, I think those with McLaughlin, especially, I don't think he, he, he ever he, he never buzzed them. I, I think he just wanted to be the best manager in the history of League of Ireland, and you know, he achieved that. But it, I look, it, it's it's a it's something that I think rightly so can be labeled against us, like definitely. Yeah, I'll ask you about the sale of the game. In a moment, but um, got one from Harry Kenny here. Asking about the time a little five foot six player from Sporting Lisbon broke his rib, and you're supposed to be a hard man, <laughs> yeah. You're a hard man, all right, but that's typical Harry now because he's only he loves people at five foot six because he's only about five foot seven himself, like you know. So, um we were playing, I was winding them up all the time. I cut them offside about 24 times. Like we were playing really. Again, you come back to this idea that I was li- listening to the sports match. I was watching the sports match the other night and they're all coming up. They play a really high line. And I'm going, like 40 years ago, I was standing on the halfway line catching fellas offside. Not me, but I was running it. And my fullbacks never went in behind me because it, if they kept someone on the side, there would have been more there. I'd have, I'd have gone and killed them. So you're looking at this and you're going, so I've cut this for offside so many times and I'm saying to him, offside again. Offside, and I kept waving at him. So we're running back down and he just went bang, cross, into my ribs. He brought two, a two, a two, three ribs, I think, at the time. But I saw it. So, uh, oh, come here. Again, you deserve it because uh, it wasn't enough for me to be taking the piss out of him. I also have to tell him I'm taking the piss out of him. So, yeah, it was the, the, the last time was hilarious. I went down like an hour, I got injured because I probably dished out so many injuries in the, in the couple of years that, I, you know, all of a sudden, for someone to catch me, it was kind of. Eight, I think that have to happen. But hey, that's that's typical. Hey, now he just lose 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 to hear the story that we get bashed. <laughs> uh, Mick Byrne wants to know the best player you played with, and I'll add to that best player against as well. Mick only wants to know that because he thinks it's him. 
Plus I played. I no, no. I've played with Apple, who's by far the best midfield player I've ever. Ever, I think. Again, you can't because you 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 can say over time, but I I think as a as a player, I don't think anyone was ever better than him. Now I can't go back far enough, but I can tell you this: that if Pat Bourne was the Pat Bourne when when he was playing with us, he would get in the Rovers team. Now, that's that's what I'm saying. And the other one was Tommy McCarver, who's um, I played with in Dundalk, who was. The best. I can't say defender because when he didn't want to defend, he just played outside right. He only, but when he had to defend, he was he was supreme, uh, supreme. And very few players of my, even our times playing, what I think be good enough to get into that Rovers team. Uh, I think he, Tommy would have been one of those. So that those two always stick out in my mind. Now, what about best you played against in the league? Uh, it, it could be Europe as well. Oh no, I kept most of them quiet. Really, nah, none of them ever. You know, I that's that's probably that's probably a lot of Jackie Jameson. I I, I found a hard to mark him. He was still one. Oh, he was like a frighten him, but he was as a player he was he was he was special talent. Now I look if I if I had if I had the questions down I knew the answer I I I, I could go and but in my good feeling just right now, he's he's the only one I thought I'd worry about. The rest of them you could yeah, you you wouldn't be worried about them like now they're smashing players, but um he was a, he was a bit different, like you know. So replacing Jim McLaughlin in nineteen eighty six, Jim goes to Derry. Um, you go on to win uh the double on or Robbers won the double under your leadership. But that conversation where you uh, become Robbers manager, um, how did you feel about it at the time? I was surprised. Um, McLaughlin went and put my name in. I didn't think of it. I, I didn't think I was. I never thought about. It. I suppose the way I played, I was always a manager. I mean, I was always sorry. I was always going to be a manager, um, because I liked that organisation and I, that that's what appealed to me. It was it wasn't getting on the ball and playing as I've said. It was organised and not not giving goals away. But um, I didn't know. He told me when he was gone that um. He was putting my name in, uh, and I, I, I genuinely, it just happened, and then it was in next year, you know, and there it was, job done. I don't think there was any fuss. I don't think they particularly looked for anyone. I think they, they accepted what he said, and probably had a go, decided to have a go at it, like you know. But then I don't know. There was moves afoot then. I don't know. I, Jim was very, he's a very clever man. I don't know whether he went to Derry because he loved Derry or because he knew something was going to happen. I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. But it, uh, it was him recommending me. And 
again, I, I, well, I never went for an interview for any job, but I was just done, and I was told, you're the manager. So, Grant, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a bad thing to be given the manager the best team in the league for four years in a row, like, you know, for three years pre- previous to that. I mean, it's it's not a bit, it wasn't exactly hardship now. I mean, you're talking about, the only problem was probably, that only t- problem I felt, I I was confident enough. I always, I, I, it was a natural progression for me. I, it was always going to manage, but the problem was being managing players that you've already played with, and you know your relationship changes, of course, because you've got to get results. And now that it's not not you on your own, it's you on your own. It's not you and everybody else. But again, they were super. I mean, there was. There was uh, there were a few things, but I mean, very little. And it was just so easy for them. It was just, I think too, they wanted to show the country that they were still the best. In a way, it was motivation. Like Jim is the best manager he's gone today, and they were all talking about Derry, Derry, Derry. And I think I'd say it rankled, and I think just there was an inner. I don't think we ever discussed it. I just think it was an inner thing there where they said, well, here, we're going to do this again, even with the dump in charge. I think they would have run. They they, they would have won it anyway. I don't know. Unless someone... Can, uh, I, I've said there was no reason to reinvent the wheel. It was... They were there. Just let them have it. Like, and... The only thing I, I would be proud... No, not the only... The, the, one of the things I'd be proud of is that I didn't feel I had to trick around with it. It was just, look, here, we've done, we done three days, we'll do another one. And it was just, yeah, off we go. And to a man, to a man. Uh, I keep saying, they were fantastic, but you, you can't do this. I, I don't know the current team, but they have to be a really good bunch, a really good tight bunch, because... I know what that team was, and I know how hard it was to, to win it. But how how they just came to season, they just clicked into gear. This team obviously does the same thing. So it's um, it's I I would know. I don't know the team, but I I would know from what happened to us, the effort and commitment that it takes to go and do this every single year. It's it's. It's no one, no, no one really knows the amount of time and, and effort that people take, and more so now because they're professionals. You know, they're at it twice a day, every day. I'd be, I'd be bored out with trailing. We Tuesday, 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 Saturday morning, to grand in the car park. It's great. It's no pressure. You, you, that was the era. Whereas now it's on and you're football and football and football. I mean, I went to school. I was teaching. I didn't think about football until six o'clock in the evening. These boys are in at ten o'clock in the morning. It's a completely different. I think it's much more. I say it's it's difficult for them now because that's totally you. You must get tired easier. Everybody in the team had something to do during the day. So you just came in and played and got out on a Sunday morning. That was it. Like it's not easy, but they couldn't. The way the current league is, or the way the, the position is with players, that's hugely difficult. I mean, I tried to, I, I went full time for three months in Shelburne at the end. 
I, I, I honestly, I couldn't stick it. I couldn't stick it sitting in the office and pretend to do work. It was just not me. So I think we were of a different, we're a different era. And t- things were different. And these people are of a different era. But uh, I don't, I don't think their work is made easier by, by being full time. I think it's made harder. Um, this is another from Jason. It's about the Celtic game. Um, why didn't you just kick Murdo McLeod that night against Celtic? And how unlucky were we to lose? Was it possibly our best performance under you as manager? Yeah, definitely. We battered them. I mean, Packy Banner was making saves that, you know, they were unbelievable. I had taught my knee, um, which in the end finished me. And I was playing with it. I shouldn't have played, but I felt, and the, the team felt that it was better in the team than out of the team, that we it would be better than putting in somewhere, changing the back four or whatever. So, a previous year previously, I wouldn't have to kick him. I would have caught him because uh, it was quick. But I was at the stage there now where I was slowing, not because of my age, but because I was I was injured. And I also, sometimes on the pitch, as a manager, I made a wrong decision. I was sure we were so on top. I really thought we were, it was there for us. So when the corner came, Mick Neville and Fairness came to me and said, look, I'll sit back with you. And I said, no one ever did. I used to stay back and have a line of my own because I had, had pace. It didn't, no, there was no one going to go by me. I'd either catch them or kick them. But Mick went up. I sent them up. And the ball broke and then they came and then and they scored. So it's one of those decisions. I think it was made it was made for the right reasons. But it, it would be me being stubborn, not feeling that I needed a hand, that I could do with myself and all that kind of crap that goes on me head. But it's just a decision. Yes, I know if I'd have kept Mick Neville back, they wouldn't have scored. But I didn't think I needed them. So I thought I was doing the, the right thing by going to try and win the match. In the end, I lost the match. So, look, you could you can look at that over the thing and, and you can be pilloried over it or say, well, you've done the right thing. I think I've done, I I done the wrong thing for the right reasons, if that makes sense. Uh, Mick Kearns wants to know, before we, we, we dig into the whole Milltown thing, would the 80s four-in-a-row team have won any more leagues if it wasn't sold? Yeah. Yeah. Without, without, without a shadow of a doubt. We were, we were straight ahead. I, I'll talk to you now when we get to this. Uh, it would be where maybe myself and, and, and the fans don't understand one another, maybe, but I'm sitting there, four, four leagues, three cups, and then still a mill town, still streets ahead. I mean, the, the, the year we won 
when I was managing. And this is not because I was managing, but we won the league by, I think, a great, the greatest margin ever. And we won but we won 3 nothing in the cup final. So I think it was overall, it was the best uh, playing record. So that wasn't going to change next year. I mean, that was going to be the same. All I had to do was keep people on, on board, maybe get in a player or two where just 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 things up a bit. And that was it. That was that was it. There was no more. There was there was two at least look, I don't know many, but there was there was another league or two leagues in, in that team, definitely. Definitely. But it wasn't to be. And as everyone knows, the owners of the club, the Kilcoyne brothers, decided to sell Robert's home ground for development and move across the River Liffey to Talca Park, as it was called, the stadium in the future. Most people only learn about the news in the newspaper, in the Irish press that day. Uh, when did you find out? What was your re- reaction? Exact same thing. No doubt that day. I didn't know anything about No one told me a thing. I, I found out when everybody else found out. And I felt like everybody else. But I'm in a position where I'm looking at we have have won four leagues, three doubles. And all I want to do is keep this thing together. Because we're all want to be in the history books. I want do I want to win six leagues? You better. I want to win six leagues, and that was my only, my only thought that th- this team was capable of winning some another two leagues, and it wasn't going to get the chance in the way it was. The, the, once you moved, I mean, Talca was a kid, still is a kid, so but they were given this as they, they were going to move from here with the money they got to here to to make. This fantastic stadium. One of like the only thing at the time is I just wanted to keep together the team together and win. That's me. I didn't, and I've said this so many times. I didn't understand because footballs are mercenaries. You you go in there, and when your time is done, you go, and then or when the club thinks your time is gone is done you go but you forget that the club belongs to the fans that when you're gone and dead there'll be a whole load of people supporting this club because they've done it forever and you, you lose that you lose that because your your goal is to just win another league win another league win another league and I'm I can't I can't apologise for that. that that's what kept me going that's why in general, I was successful, but it was just a disaster. Look how long it's taken. Now the, the, the club now is in great city, great stadium, beautiful. But whatever it is, how many years they took to to, to get this far? I at that stage don't think like that. I'm just thinking of I've got the best team in the country. We're going to win another league. I don't need any hassle. I play in Talca, I play in Dallymount Beach, I don't care. What's wrong? You know, it's but at the time when you're young and at it and you really want and you really feel that this team is going to be I don't care where they played. And then 
as you get older, you realize, no, it's not your team. You know, you're part of a team, but it's not yours. It's the supporters. It's, it's not mine. It's the supporters. And, but they also have to understand that as a player, I only just want to win a league. I'm not, I'm not going against them because I, I want to be against them. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm driven. I'm just, I have one thing in my mind, win another league. And I'll do anything to do that. That's part of the way I am. If I'd have been more astute, I, I probably would have dealt with it differently. Again, I dealt, dealt, I just dealt with it the way I thought I should. Incorrectly. Now. But then, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty vision, isn't it? Yeah, there was, when we said you were coming on, there was a lot of questions sent in. Uh, good for you were about the halftime protest. Uh, the last Sorry? game. Uh, a good few questions were about the, the protest at halftime and the, the last game of Milltown against Sligo, 12th of April, 1987. Um, I know you've kind of, you've you've given your kind of reasoning there, but I'll, I'll read the question from James Cook anyway. <laughs> he says, you're a part and parcel of a very successful Robert's side. In those days, the players and fans had a point together in the hoops bar after games. At the last game, Milltown, I was one of the people on the pitch protesting at the proposed sale of Milltown and just happened to be very close to Dermot when he told us in no uncertain terms to get off the pitch. Given the fact that he could see firsthand that day how the fans felt about leaving Milltown, what was his motivation for telling us that day to get off the pitch? I think if I explained that, I mean, uh, I, uh, am I proud of it? No. Did I do it? Yes. What was I doing it for? To win another league. For the set, for those fans. You know, for me, whatever whatever it is. And that's, that's what I'm saying is the gap in time. Now, you look back and you say, yeah, of course, the fans were right and they were brilliant. And, and they, they, they stopped me winning the league the following year. But then you look back, boy, what was the cause? Sure. But when you're there and you're in the ticket, you don't want it. You don't want to think about it. I mean, can you imagine what that meant to me when they said they were leaving Milltown? Like, I didn't know the game was up, but it was something thrown at me that I don't know whether I didn't know whether I... I all I wanted was to keep the team together. That was the only thing. And I thought, I thought, you know, stupidly, I believe the talker crap. I, I really, I didn't. Like, like the mother knowing these things because you always talk to directors. I had no, no time for the directors. I didn't talk to them at any, at any length. So I'm looking just to keep the game. But no, like, what do, what do I do? You, you put your hands up now and say, Mayo Cup, but that's grand. And that's it. But I, I did it. I did this for the. Again, maybe I I did what I thought was right. Now in hindsight, it wasn't. But me, what man hasn't made mistakes? And and like if I was still banging on this drum that that they lost us, I could talk, look around and say they lost us another league. That they we would have had five leagues in a row if all the fans had gone to Talca. 
But I don't, because I know it's completely impossible. But at the time, I'm like, I mean, I'm just in a tunnel. I do, I'm just going, looking driven by one thing to win another league. And it's very, now, like, as I said, the club, the, it's not my league. It's the club's league. It's, it's the fan, it's the supporters' league. That, that's right. But you, at the time, you're doing it for yourself. That's, that's where all the team does it. Everybody on the team is doing it for themselves. Like, you know, some have more an attachment to to Shamrock Rovers than I would or somebody else would. It's not. It's not about that. It's look. It it, it happened. It's a, it's a, like what started the Second World War. I mean, if they if they if they realized what happened, they wouldn't have started it. So, um, it's 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 a thing I'm not proud of. I have to say that that I made, I made, but my 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 goal was honest. I just wanted to keep the team together and win the league. That that was my only goal. There was never, I never got any talk. I was never talked to by Kilcoins or anybody else. I never got anything out of it. I I just I just was manager and I was trying to do the best that I could for the players to keep and the club like. Well, look, it's again, it's, it's something that's happened. And I, I yeah, as I said, as you get older, you, you realize it was wrong. I mean, I, I, and I, those people that came on there, I just wanted them off the pitch so that we could play a match. I didn't think deeply about this. I, I, like, I played with Dundalk. I played with all the clubs. I, I played with Pats. I played, you know, People don't love the club like supporters do. The players, now some of the players do, but most of the players don't. They're just playing for club and they want to win a medal and they get money and whatever it is. And that's that's the player mentality. That's not a supporter's mentality. I mean, they love Rovers. They won't, they won't go to Pats. You know, they, I mean, they don't like Shell. They don't like Bowles. It's grand. I mean, I... Like, when I'm playing, I, I don't care. I don't dislike any. I just want to win matches. And that's I me. Mean, look whether it's right or wrong. That's that way. And it's 40 years ago. So it's, you know, things change. Things change. And based on what the Kukalian family presented to you, looking back now, do you feel duped by them? And when did you realize that you were duped by them, if you feel that way? I knew. I knew this the the end of the, the season where we did we didn't finish where we played in Talca and, and the fans um, wouldn't go in. I knew then that it was over, and I knew um, that the, the, the no one told me anything. I knew that I knew that Talca wasn't going to be redeveloped. I knew then that they were making money. That's all it was about. But I I. I and I'm not stupid, but I, I, I genuinely, I genuinely thought that they were going to do something, sell, sell Milltown, make a packet, put it in here, and go. And then, so I was stupid, yes, but was I? How stupid am I? I mean, I just did. Um, but 
And again, I didn't talk to the coins that year either. I just I just tried to keep the, the show on the road for me, for for the players. It wasn't anything else. But yeah, was I loitered? Yes. Was I duped? Yes. Am I stupid? Maybe. And is there still feelings of regret now over Gosh. publicly backing Gosh. the performance? When I see the current team winning four and I I put my house in to win five, of course. I, I'd love to be doing that. I'd love to be I'd love them now to be still chasing six. Do you know, because that's what you want. You're in you're in you're in the game for, for prizes for, for winning leagues. That's that's what you that's where you play football well. You know, what I played football for was to win stuff. So yeah. You know, of course I do. I've I've I I feel I've said it to you that that, that team was so good that we winning another one or two was really within our grasp. I mean we'd no supporters the following year and I think we finished fourth. Like it was sure club was in chaos. The players couldn't you know, it was awful. But we still finished fourth in the league. Like I mean we would we would have counted it. But again, I, you know, some things just happen. So again something happens to you like a toy film or something just comes in now all of a sudden your whole world's gone. You know, everything that was going right is done and gone the right way. And then all of a sudden, something comes in and changes all that. So I tried to deal with it in my own way, obviously incorrectly. But again, I, I, it, wasn't my re- it wasn't my fault they left. It's through a kill coins. I, the, players, the players all didn't leave. They, they tried and stay, they stayed as well. They all wanted to do that. So uh, that's just one of those things. I mean, I, I don't. This never happened to anybody in their lives. It's be, it, before that, I don't even think, think now. Like you know, but um, uh, they were just, again. Look, they're, they're people. They were just people. They're greedy. Just people that wanted to make money on land. There's plenty of it going on since, and you still you'll see it today as well. It's just. I, I I never I treated people as I, as I saw them. I, I you think people are being honest with you. You you no reason to to believe that they want to dismantle the team because what they did they dismantled the team because they wanted to make money. And I never forgive them for that. When you've met Roberts fans in the years and decades that follows, can you understand why? They absolutely love you for your role in the four in a row, how crucial you were to that team. But many will probably still find it hard to forgive, uh, especially the clashes and the bitterness, I suppose, over the Tolka boycott season. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I've said it. I mean, now you're different. You get older, you mature, you whatever the word is. Sure. Of course. But I can't do anything about that. History is history. I, I did what I did. I, I, my conscience is clear in the sense of I, I, I did it or whether I did it for the right reasons, I don't know. I, I, I did it to, to win another league. So, I mean, this current team will be doing the same. 
And if something happened there, that was not going to obviously. You know, would they would the manager say, Well, look, I have another league, I, I want to do five in a row? I think he would, probably. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. Like Fauna's never been done. It's huge thing to think you're going to you're, you're putting your mark. We did put our marks, we put our mark down for forty years. It could have been forever, six in, in our lifetimes. So yeah. But, I mean, I understand people, but 40 years is a long time, you know. It's it's time to start the healing. You know, it, it's a long time to be annoyed and angry. I, I understand that. I'm not I'm not saying. But then I was huge at the time. I was really annoyed with them because they wouldn't, they wouldn't stop me winning the league. So it depends what, what, what angle you're coming at it from. Now do I understand? Absolutely. Then did I understand? No. I, I just thought it would prevent me winning another league, become the greatest player in the league of world, become the best manager in the league of world. But what else? You know, Jim McLaughlin, we God has all this, and I'm saying, I'm going to be next, like, I'm next in line for this. Four leagues, four cups, three cups, seven cups. No. But it's all at the time and your head is in a different place. When you get older and you, you sit back and think, Jesus, did I say that? Did I kick him? Did I break him? Did I, you look back and you say, how did you do that? But it's it's life. Life goes on. You make some good decisions, some bad decisions. I mean, as I said there, I understand completely. But maybe it's time to live and let live. Uh, Mick Terrence had a couple of questions. Um, despite how it ended, do you have any mementos left from the club at all? And you look back in fondness at what you did since you're still the last manager to do the double in 87. Isn't another quick of mine? I don't. I don't keep. I have no mementos. I don't have medals. I don't have uh, jerseys. I don't have anything. I never... The, the thing for me was winning. I don't need a medal. I don't need two medals to, to tell me that I won a double in 1987 or 1986 or whatever. You know, I, 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 it's not, it's not part of me. I mean, if the fans think that they, they've, they, they've caused to be annoyed at me, grand, <laughs> look at this one. I mean, I, 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 I love my time. I, I loved it. But, why would I look back with medals? I, I don't need them. I, I look forward. I, I'm too old now to be looking back. What am I going to do? As now that I'm a granddad, I'm well into being granddad, I now kind of regret that I didn't keep stuff because my grandkids would surely, when I kicked the bucket, would like say, oh, well, my granddad was one this medal and this medal and this medal. But I, again, the fact that I didn't think like that is also wrong. But it's not the way I was made. So now, again, as I get older, I say, Jesus, maybe I should have kept the medals and given to the grandkids. But I didn't have grandkids then. I lived for football. So that mentality that doesn't like medals and doesn't do that, it's the same mentality that didn't want to give up, didn't want to, wanted another one. So, um, I people would, I mean, see, people then go, 
harangue me now for saying, Jesus, he never kept medals. What kind of a bloke is he? So, like, it's just, just my me. I never claimed to be normal. So it's, if it's, it's my kind of normal. I just never did. They never appealed to me. I never. I just, they get it there in the day and good luck. What's it doing? I know I want it. I know it's there. It's, I can, it's in my head. So, but as you get older, you say, oh, well, I should have kept that. I should have done that. I should have done that. You know, so I won the double with the dark in playing as well. I'm not there. I don't keep medals for that one either. I didn't keep any of them. So, so you look around it. I would say there's, there's, there's no jerseys up, there's no medals up. It's, it's, there's no cabinet with army medals. I, I just never got that looking, keeping medals. And now, as I said to you, looking back, now at this age of my life, and I'm going, and the kids are on me beginning to realize they come, Granddad, did you play football? Yeah, a little bit. So don't talk about it too much either. Yeah. But that's, I mean, grandkids come up and me saying, Granddad, I mean, they all live in the dark now, and you're legendary in the dark. And they say, Can I, I didn't know you played football. Yeah, well, just not much of it. Don't be worried about it. Just go on. So, you know, you have to take all of me. The bits, the bits you know and you understand, Grant. The bits you can't understand, <laughs> you have to take it for. A, I'm a, I was going to say I'm a rounded person. I'm not. Rounded in the, but I'm, I'm. I'm just me. I just some things I do. Some things I don't do. And most times when I don't do it, it takes me about ten years to realize. Jeez, I should have done that. So, you know, it's 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 what I am. It's. And some people like it, some people don't like But I've never wanted to be popular. I don't want to be loved by everybody anyway. You can't be. So if some people can't accept this today, I can't do anything about that. I mean, am I, as I've said, do, do I feel I would have done, could have done things differently? Yeah. But that's 40 years. I'm thinking about the stuff for 40 years. It changes. No, so, uh, look, teach their own I, I, and not everybody's cup of tea, I know that. Um, I'll sort of combine two questions. Mick, again, he's, he wants to know what you think of Tala and uh, the battles we had to get you there. And then just on owning your own ground and owning your own club, Paul Fox, uh, do you think the ownership model robbers have now will stop the likes of what happened in 1987 under private owners happening to us again in the future? Yeah. Tala was great. I mean, it's... But, you know, when, when you went there first, it's such a hard time getting all the fans in there because, you know, it wasn't home. So, look, there's no one happier than me. Mick was again, last week, telling me he's going to take a video of the ground and the new stand and all this stuff. And it's, it's fantastic. And, yes, government should be doing, providing grounds for everybody. All over the country, it's because it's such now it's it's a sport from top to bottom. It's not just senior men, senior and and no schoolboys and no now it's men, women, and all the kids and their the, the academies and everything else. So these all should be getting funded by my county councils or by um the government in in general, definitely. 
and it would stop that grade. But you know yourself, I mean, if if it comes, if they want to put a, a tram through Talca Park, they'll do it. I mean, it's not going to bother me because somebody was selling them to do it. That, that Well, you know, I'm not particularly Talca Park, but anywhere where there's money to be made. Greed is greed. You know, but people who own the clubs aren't generally fans of the club. They just own the club now. Nowadays, again, my, my, that might be in those days. You know, what you are, what you are. I look at how far it's like massive. I mean, I don't understand why it hasn't been sold for, but I, I think eventually someone's going to sell it and they'll get another little ground somewhere else because our family have gone down a bit. And, you know, then, you know, Kevin's another big club in the area. So, you know, you don't know. But private, private deal, if people own stuff and it's, it's like a house, it, you own and you think you get a good price, would you sell it? They don't, they don't, well, Kilcoys didn't love Rovers. They they enjoyed it for a while, and then obviously this idea comes up where, where you are and you're going to get uh, a whack of money for building houses. And they say, yeah, we'll have that, because deep down that they, they love, then they love a Rovers. You know, it was just, I mean, they were very good, they were great charge, they gave money. Louis was in charge of the League of Ireland teams gone away, great trips, all that. But when it all came down to all, it was all about money. The way Roberts fans, uh, we're we're going to celebrate 15 years in Tala now in uh, March. The, the connection the fans have with Tala Stadium, the connection that Roberts fans had with Milltown in the 80s. Do you think you didn't, uh, did you have that same connection as a player or do you realise it more now what a special ground it was. No. I no well at the time M Lore was was fantastic. It's a fantastic pitch. It's the best pitch in the country. It's beautiful groundsman was oh, it was fantastic. So I I appreciate that now. That, uh, the ground I love the ground. You know I, I you get that ground helped so much in the winning of the leagues you couldn't you, you couldn't say that if we were in in Chicago or Talca Park or wherever that you would have won the leagues I, I, I think the ground was was definitely your, your 12th man and I, I, I loved it I loved it the, I loved Milton I loved playing in Milton I absolutely adored it it was to walk out there it was a arc. It was a completely. I can remember it still. I mean, this still gives me a buzz. As like I'm sure now, that lads gone now to tell us such a fabulous stadium. They know it. It's you feel unbeatable. You know, you just say no one can beat us. Now I know you do. You get beaten every now and then, but but when you're going out, you're just looking at this and you clench your fist and going, "Jesus!" And tell it now, big crowd and. The crowds fell off in Rovers as the, funny enough, as the leagues were won, the crowds seemed to diminish. But with the new, um, I think, with, with 
people going to more games and there's more interest in the game the games after the pandemic. I think the players going now now to Tala would feel the same way as I did going now to Middletown. It was I just said things I wouldn't swap my life and that's one of them. The feeling of going out there on a big on a big day, knowing that really you were going to win. No matter what happened. You, you, you felt that this ground you were you were unbeatable. And that that's I'm sure that that's the same now with, with talent. Um you obviously you managed a number of clubs uh after Robert. Innumerable. Yeah, I mean, in the calendar year 1996, alone four yeah. Dundalk, Harps, Atlanta, Home Farm. I mean, how hectic was that to manage four clubs in one calendar year? I literally, I just, um, look, it was things are over for me. I, I was gone from being the, the uh, manager of the best team in the country to you know, going around selling wares, like, you know, like like a travelling salesman. So, um, a lot of them were just, I just wanted to keep involved. And uh, I, I mean, I don't. This is another thing about hindsight, you know, when you look at it now and you go, geez, how would you do that? But it's just keeping yourself involved. I love the League of Ireland. I mean, I, I'm passionate about it. Like, I, I just, I'll never let anybody knock it down. And I'd be seeing the bar and people come in, they say, I'll leave it on. I'd stand and fight. I love it. It's it's in it's in my bones. So I just wanted to keep working. At long, I don't even remember. I think it must have been there for about four days. I think maybe I went for a long weekend and signed the farm and then, you know, I woke up on Monday morning and said, geez, what did I do yesterday? So, and um, Harps was... Was was a good one, but again, a club that has been building a new stadium for the last twenty years, thirty years, forty years, whatever it is, had a good bloke in charge, Jimmy. Um, I went. I thought he was going to take the club somewhere else. And the the old, the old crew came back in, had a gen had a, a general meeting, and told Jimmy he had to, he wasn't. That was it. And then they had the chief come around and ask me, did I want to manage? And I said, yeah, this guy is coming in talking about finally modernizing the ground. This is 40 years ago, right? whatever it is. And now all of a sudden he's gone and the same crew that were, that were in are back in. So, and the ground hasn't changed since. So, uh, uh, the other well, was, well the home farm is always uh, a chance for me because it's where I grew up like you know so Anton Dock is again is you know I, I lived up there for 20 years as, as well as playing up there so I mean I would consider Dundalk now I don't I, I know I'm a dub but I consider Dundalk as my sons my my, my the, the the families all live in the dark, so you know I, I'd have a great attachment for the dark for the town itself, which is hard to. It's, it's difficult in Dublin where you 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 is a, is a big area, but you know where where you have Tolkien, Daly Mountain, that it's hard. Where with the dark, it's even a natural community. You get you get down shopping and you see someone that knows you. So it's um. 
it, I feel differently about the dark night than I, I felt about any club, really. I mean, because, of, because I got so close to it, and I, with my, mm. I mean, McCall was my best friend, and my family moved up, and I moved up, and so it's, but the foreign, the foreign thing is just that bit of madness in me, I think, you know, it's, I think it just happened. I I find it all with a flop. Like it's no one obviously a job I take. I've never applied for a job. People give you jobs. Like they just say, Hey, look, would you come up and man? Yeah, yeah. So then it's only when I'm in it and go, Oh, geez, look what you've hit. What have you let yourself in for? Like, you know, Finn Harps is two hundred miles drive or whatever it is, you know. What what no thought goes into it. I'm little impulsive. Slightly. So you had more success than Dock League title ninety five, Shelburne two leagues and FBI Cup, uh, in four years there. Um, is it true that when you stepped down in two thousand two, uh, after Damien Richardson was sacked at Rovers, that you were supposed to meet Joe Caldwell? Uh, you felt that you were going to get the Rovers job before it went to Liam Buckley in two thousand two. No. No, at that stage, I never thought I was going to get a job at Rovers ever. I mean, I'm not stupid. I know people didn't didn't uh, we're going back to where we were now. I uh, I don't think at that stage, 2002, anything would have been forgiven. I mean, I know Joe Car. No, definitely never. I was never. I don't think I was ever considered again. I I I never applied for anything, so I don't know. But no one ever. There was nothing. No, like, no one, a friend of a friend of a friend never rang me and said, listen, you, well, was there interest in you? No, no, that's not true. Uh, you're at Kildare, Derry, briefly, Dublin City. Uh, Dave Carpenter. Six weeks again. Yes. <laughs> Dave Carpenter wants me to ask I got, about... I got on holidays for longer. Sorry? I've gone on holidays for longer than I was in Derry. <laughs> Uh, Dave Carpenter wants me to ask about the playoff against Rovers in 2005 you're a Dublin City manager he says I did a media interview with him before the playoffs and he apologised to Rovers fans over Milltown he said he never realised how much it meant to the fans um, Tommy asks considering the harm Dublin City did to the league's image by dropping out during the next season do you have any regrets about beating Rovers and relegating them in the playoff No, you can't say you have, you're have. sorry for winning. No, you can't do that. The fact that a club goes bust. I mean, I know the person in charge of that club and he he went broke trying to keep that club. So, you, you see, you got to get away from being all about you. It's not. It's a, And did I enjoy Rovers, beating Rovers, going, uh, getting relegated? No, but I was in, I was in a job. And like, if I was in a job now and I go and play Rovers at Dundalk, I, I, I'm, I'm in charge of another club and I'm doing my best for that club. And that's all I can do. I, I can't do. I don't judge me. I don't judge this, whether it's good or bad, whether I should have or I shouldn't have. You don't feel. You feel regret that Rovers went down. Just not for the fact that you beat them, but the fact that they're such a loss to the league. You know, they, they should be, they're at top side. Like, I suppose Manchester United getting relegated over in England, like you say, well, Jesus, like, it's not good for the league, it's not good for the product to get 
or Manchester City or Arsenal or someone getting relegated. It's not good for the product. And that that was a crazy time in the league as well. It was really a lot of clubs. Kilkenny, I don't again, I don't know the the times. Kilkenny went out, Limerick's gone bust. The big a lot of stuff going on and um but you're doing your job. What do you want me to do? Take a job. Like, if I take a job at Rovers, then I go up against Dundalk and I throw the game and I, I let Dundalk, I let Dundalk say up and I get relegated. No, it's not. It's silly. You do your best. That's all. And I I don't think anybody will say in any club, whether it be managing or playing, that I didn't do my best, that I didn't give it me, me, me best shot. I did. But that doesn't mean you don't like one club more than another. You do. Because I moved to Dundalk. I, I feel Dundalk is my town. So what does that make me now that I'm a renegade now because I, I don't love Shamrock Rovers or Shells or looking at loan the same as I as I like Dundalk. Oh, Dundalk is where I go. It's where my family is. It's been I've been there for 20 years. So you know, there's, it's not as simplistic as are you sorry? Of course, you're sorry. You've got we always got relegated. Um, Dublin City didn't didn't ruin the league's reputation. I know the fellow in charge who, who spent every penny he had um, to keep it in keeping the business. He couldn't do it because he was a dreamer because he hadn't got the money. And above all, they should know because when people have money, they sell the fucking ground. Do you know what I mean? He poured money in to keep the, the, the home farm thing, thing, keep it going. And then Kilcoyne sell the ground to make money. So, you know, yeah, can't, can't say something about somebody who busts his balls trying to do something, but a love of something, not for money. Never made a shilling, he lost everything. So I'm not, I wouldn't be having that now at all. So it's kind of nonsense, kind of shit. Like uh, your rivalry with uh, the one and only Roddy Collins. Um, you went from <laughs> you jumped ship from Dublin City to Rovers. Uh, he was Rovers manager that season and relegated. Not not in the play of itself, but that rivalry you had with him. Uh, you wouldn't shake hands after games. Uh, I remember in your Irish Stone column, we always called him your. He, <laughs> your favourite plaster. And uh, we also had this memory from John Cody. He says, his standout memory of you is watching you break Roddy Collins' nose twice in one game. So, does it go back that far? Well, uh, funny enough, my wife, I came in from work last, last night, about that, late opening, so it was half two or something. And she said that uh, Roddy was on Tommy Tiernan last night. And I uh, we put it on today. I um, for playback. Ah, he's a dope. God love him. He was dropped on his head when he was a child. And like the few smacks I gave him, the damage was done when he was three or four. That's, uh, he's an absolute. I love him to bits. But he's never in the brain is said. No, he's just I said it I said it before. I said it in the paper, I think he was dropped on the set when he was a child, like no. It was he was no, he's he's just one out. I remember <laughs> we were playing um the 
Shells were playing bows and he was all in the clobber. You know, he come down. I can't understand. I'm obviously in a check suit with a pair of boots. Like when you're playing football, it's your game. It's your, it's your, when you put on that, your, your football head is on. But he was out in the suit, in the, the vest inside it, trails clean, and a lovely pair of brown shoes. And Ollie, <laughs> Ollie went and walked in the dugout before the match. So when he went out, Ollie was, was walking around the muck. <laughs> I just, my vision about um, Ronnie now is this. Stella with the immaculate suit and the shields covered them walk very most sat and arm was it so look there was rivalry with Roddy there was rivalry with Pat Dolan I mean it was good for the league I had a column um, Pat Dolan had a column and we ran it all the time everybody was talking about League of Ireland Roddy didn't have a column he had crayons or his book he had a little colouring book uh, we just had in the news there, Jurgen Klopp is going to leave Liverpool at the end of the season. And uh, this comes from Mark Merrigan. You, you want your thoughts on Irish Liverpool fans? This is obviously a reference to your infamous he's rant he's years ago. <laughs> This is when I got I got a job as a pundit, I think it's called, isn't it? A pundit on RTA. And there was Liverpool playing Rovers, I think. I'm not too poor. I think it's Rovers. Yeah, Liverpool Rovers at the Viva Stadium, yeah. Yeah. And I said, like, I I don't know why 40,000 people can go and watch Liverpool's second team playing League of Ireland. And we can't get, at that stage, we couldn't get two or three or 4,000 people out. So I called them 40,000 morons. Lost my job. Haven't learned that from it, would still say the same thing. I don't understand it. I don't understand. Um, I understand following it in English, team, I don't have a problem with that. But come on and support the League of Ireland. Don't be, don't, don't be a Liverpool or a Manchester United or a Manchester City supporter. Come and watch the games. Great. You you go over on Saturday and Friday and watch any of them. I no problem. That's everybody's right to do whatever they want to do. But come to a League of Ireland game. I mean, that's I love League of Ireland. I mean, it's my it's my life. It was my life. So I don't get this going in Liverpool. Well, I do. I get all that stuff because it's a, it's a market ploy. But it's a huge league. No more. No, I follow now and living in Lanzarote. I, I love watching Barcelona. I love watching Real Madrid. It's grand, but. You never lose your love for the league. If just 10% of that crowd go, 10%, 1 in 10, go to a League of Ireland match for the first time next week, our gates are gone. I mean, Rovers are doing great. And I know the great the gates have improved this, this year particularly. But I just can't, I can't get it that you can only be a Liverpool supporter. You can't. I don't understand why you can't be a Shamrock Rose support and a Limerick and or Liverpool or United or whatever and go to both games. It's like a superior. You go, oh, I go to Liverpool. Fuck you. Go to Liverpool. Yeah. Look at how the Shamrock Rose for change. Go to Dundalk. Go to wherever you want. Have a look at that game. Just have a look at it. You might find out that it's better. 
not not better game, better standard. Might have more action. It might have you. You get players going to the bar after to have a drink with whoever. Pat Bourne, in my case, or whoever was involved. Dan Riccardo wouldn't have a drink with him. Talk to him. You can talk to these people. They're real. Not this stuff on telly where they're not real. They no, it's they're dream posters. So I, I have no time. And I don't apologise when I never did. I lost the job. It was, I thought I was going in, getting on the gravy train. Like, you know, I probably would have been found out anyway, probably. Wouldn't have took too long before they said something else. Somebody took out, took. I, well, yeah, that's that's me. That's I've, learned, I've lived with this man for a long time. So I've, I've got to know the, the uh, quirks. And just um just a last note on your your column on the Irish Sun, you mentioned that you're you've been you were living in the dock a long time and you you've uh, a bit of attachment in the dock in twenty sixteen they were going for uh three in a row. Um so this may this may tie into this article, but do you remember writing an article in the Sun in April twenty sixteen? Rovers are not a big club and people should stop treating them like one. Do you remember this one? Yeah. But again, I'm what am I writing for? Who am I writing for? The sun. So what do you do in the sun? You say things are outrageous. Just get people talking. It's not. Look, stop it. If you went back through, if you went back through the the column, I mean, I can't remember. I was writing it for 20 years. I would have been, I can't write the, the, the plaster. Like, you know what I mean? Stop. Like, do I, do I think, do I not uh, like it? Do I not have respect? Of course I do. But you say that to hop the ball somewhere. It's like, I, I, and you know who I'm talking about. A fella comes into the bar or I'm walking in. Rovers supporter. And Abs comes in. And I hop a ball. And Bill, something like Rovers. Say three and a half in a row. I hop a ball. And he calls bananas. We only do it to have a ball, and then now he comes in and just laughs. And if I say something, he said, "Don't be messing there, will you? Don't be acting." It's not. It's it, you do what you do sometimes. Sometimes you have to. You know, so you're talking in the centre forwards here. You don't mean it. But you try to bother him. You try to get a reaction. You try to get him off his game. So I've done it all my life. I mean, if I was to apologise for everything I've wrote, written, I said, I'd be like, "Come here, I'd be here for the next twenty-five years." So it's look. It is, it is what it is. You like it, you don't like it. Grant, don't buy the fucking paper. Seriously. I wrote 20 years and get good money for it. Write a few things. Gets a bit boring. Hop a ball. You do it on the pitch. You do it on... So, like, have you ever said that you didn't read it, that you, you know, you're sorry about that or, or written something in the program? You've gone, done something, said, shouldn't have done that. Like, that might... So-so, so-so was it. You know, it's it's... It's all so precious now, isn't it? Just take the bumps, take it, let someone say something to you. Everything is precious. Everything is gone. You can't say that. You can't say women, you have to say ladies. You can't say men, you have to say oh, whatever. It's, everything is so precious. And if you, now, if, if you step out of the line, you, you kind of break these little barriers that have just suddenly sprung up in the last 10 years because everybody is equal and everybody is whatever. Stop! I, I I can't be having any of that. It just live me out life. Look, I remember that. I remember that too. But it's that's not that could have been anybody. 
but it's just wrong with me. And I'm now talking about all of a sudden it gets big bang. So you, you finish it on your walk. <laughs> <laughs> no, a couple of people robbed up in fairness. I, I'd actually forgotten it myself. Um, but it was worth forgetting. Yeah. So but you know, yeah, you, if you take everything said, you, know, you, you won't go to a football match. You know, if you if, if you listen to what even your own supporters, if you're having a bad night, they want you off. They're screaming abuse at you. It's just the way it is. It's the, it's the sport. It's the game. So I wouldn't be losing sleep over that. Like. Right, Dermot, we're on through our last question. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. Thanks, thanks a million. Uh, but we're going to end on oh, a bit a of a pleasure. sad really note. Really pleasure. Bit of a sad note. You're, you're on the untimely passing of your son, Alan, in May yeah. 2021. Uh, it was a League of Ireland player himself with Shells, amongst other clubs. And he uh, sadly passed away at only the age of 38. Um, it was obviously a heartbreak that you'll, you'll never get over, but... How are you, Jane, and everyone coping uh, two and a half years on? Yeah. Hold on there, just... Uh, you don't. You don't. It's impossible. It's... Uh, it should be me. It shouldn't be him. It's just... Uh, I wouldn't wish I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy now that's I'd have a few blows that wouldn't like me but I I am um, it's uh, it's just hard. it's and it doesn't get better it, it gets worse but you as I said to you you deal with things as they come at you life is not fair I've been really really lucky with football I, I've most like I'm not allowed to go and do a lotto ticket. If I do, if it was only me and a lotto, I'd lose. So I'm not lucky that way. And I was really lucky in football. Loads of things. So many nice people. I've won so many medals, so many this and all that. That's grand. But then there's something that comes in to you can't. It's worse than any happiness, any sad things you'd have in your life. It's sorry, any good things and look and all that that just it squares it all off there's no uh, there's I'd like well, the, talking to football today he'd, he'd be sitting here with you and he'd be shouting uh, talking giving you a beer sorry giving you a stick like you know so like it wasn't it's not like I don't care it's not like I have a kind of a, a family that don't talk to me they talk and say yeah that's wrong, or you made a failure. So just shut up, like you know, just stop talking. So yeah, so it's it's tragic, but um, it's what is what is. I, I have to deal with it now, not not that. It's uh, well, I've these two gorgeous grandkids, and they come over to me. They come over the last two Christmases. And when I go back to Ireland and just flog the book, I'll um. I go home, obviously go and stay with them for three or four days. And the big now, me is 18, the other fella is 10. So it, when you see them for the first bit, it gets, it gets you. And then he just, he's left a, a little legacy. And they're, they're, they're beautiful. So. 
Um, and I'm quoting you here. You said he wasn't like you at all. He's actually good on the ball. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was tall and rangy, but no, he was. He was good on the ball. Yeah, um, quick, intelligent. Um, or being Darren McKeeley's son is not a. It doesn't start you off great, like you know. You've got to you'd be thinking about how everybody knows you and you were tough and thing, but he wasn't. No, he, he, there was a tackle in him, but he he was a he was a modern day footballer. You know, they got on the ball from the back and he, he could take the ball off the goalkeeper, and he like he like a bit like Jack McDonough, like little mazes down the pitch, like you know. So he wasn't. He's moying, but he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't the type of player. Was he? He played centre half as well, but he was. He's uh, like what they have now, and they're not centre halves now, are they? They're central defenders. That's why I, I used to call him a central defender. He'd never be a centre half. But again, he, he was very good. He took that in his stride. It's very difficult to go into again into a sport that your dad's been um, recognised in. And he never let a bottle him. Like, you know, he and he was very popular in the teams that he was in. So he used he never had to worry about me. He, he, all the other fellas used to say what they'd say to me, like, leave him alone. You're always picking on him. So, you know, he he's uh, he was no, we go home and we're out for a point and he'd sit and we talk about all the different things, football and everything there. But we never talk about him. Just you know, that was done in just in the dressing room and I had a he just looked that was it, it was done. And then that was and that was more him than me because I I'd be see if he gave a goal away or something, I would be that'd be me now, I'd be killing him. But he just got it's done, play on the go on the next one. So um very yeah uh, difficult he was uh, lovely really, really nice, pleasant. Well, man, he's a good kid, and his kids are the same. They're my boys. No, I mean, I read an interview saying the, the huge support you got from the football community and the funeral, despite COVID restrictions at the time. So that showed how yeah. how well loved he was. Well, you know, the biggest memory there was uh, Pat Dolan. I don't know where he was, but he came to the funeral. And I was amazed because we, we didn't get on. You know, we, 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 he was, we were fighting different corners and we were doing it in the paper. So it was like, you write things because you write them because it annoys somebody or you want to get a, a, a scar up there. Or a scar. He came to me, he came up to me and shook my hand. And all he said was, damn it. It was all just football. And I said, yeah. But at the time, that's all. Like, it, nothing, nothing compares to that. But in the end, all the arrivalry, all the stuff, it all goes. Like, it, it's, it's, it's transient. It's transient. And uh, now as you get on now, and I said, I used to say, I used to be a grizzly bear, and now I'm just a teddy bear. 
Okay, we'll leave it there, Dara. Um, okay. Thanks, thanks, okay. man. Um, thanks, man, for talking to me. I uh, really enjoyed the trip down memory lane. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Pleasure. So that was Dermo and Prof. Um, it's going to be an interesting response to that one. It's controversial. I mean, and he's taking it on the chin as well. He's pretty much saying, yeah, he was wrong. You make decisions and that's what happens. See, what I'll have to tread carefully here because I wasn't around and I don't know how I don't know how people felt at the time. Obviously, they were really, really upset about his actions and things like that. So I don't think it'd be fair for us to kind of judge because we weren't around at the time. But I felt it was an excellent, excellent interview. A couple of times I texted you. I was like, this is like the, the Venables thing. I felt like that was... That was one of the first things he said. Considering he's... Passed away not too long ago. That's uh, that was harsh. Let's say Roddy but, was getting smoke as well. well. I expected that. I expected him to slag Roddy, drops in his head as a child. <laughs> he said the damage yeah. was done. But it was more of the Milltown stuff that was. I think that's what people were were waiting for. Um, Do you know what I got from that as well? I think no, I could be grilled on this or hammered, but if it seemed genuine, because he didn't pull punches with anything. He didn't pull punches with Venables, with with Collins, with how he felt as the team and he want, what he wanted to do. It seems like he genuinely felt like he got it wrong. He's been consistent on it. He said yeah. he just wanted to win the league. And when he says, what can he do, it was 40 years ago. He's been apologising ever since. I sympathise with that. How often does a man need to apologise? Obviously, the people who were close to it, the likes of James Cook, who sent us in the question, he was... We weren't there. We weren't James Cook in that centre circle pitch invasion where Keady told him to get off the pitch so yeah. we didn't live that we don't know how aggressive he was we don't know mm. the manner of it you know he wasn't ushering yeah. them off he could have been, he could have been rude you know we don't. and on next week's show we've deliberately aired this back to back now Keady this week the two lads next week so we're getting Keady's version of events and we're getting two fans who are right in the thick of it with cram and the protests and there were there was bitterness between the fans and Keady. So we'll hear their their side of the story. Did Keady say anything nasty to them? You know, you'll mm. hear that as well. Exactly. Um just on like should Keady have understood the significance of leaving your home ground? Like I left the interview thinking I I think he's being brutally honest as to what he thought at the time he was a young manager he wanted to win a league I, I kind of get that yeah but I left kind of thinking like if Tata Stadium went up for sale now albeit like we rent the ground from the council but with our emotional attachment to a gear like we'd probably bicycle lock ourselves to the sales stand before the bulldozers came in yeah absolutely so would the players feel as passionate as we do if that happened some some probably would some Maybe others won't. We'll, we'll never know. But but he spoke so fondly about Milltown. Did you notice that? We passed the the leaving Milltown section, and then we just talked a little bit about. Do you still look back fondly yeah. with your success at Roberts? And then I asked him, "What did you did you love Milltown as a ground, right?" And he spoke so fondly about the pitch and the lights and the crowd and all. And I'm just thinking. The listeners who were around back then, would they would they listen to him speak about Milltown? And just think He's full of joy. No, but whatever about being young and focused on winning games, why didn't 
you feel as strongly about holding on to that magic as tight as possible, fighting to the nail for it because it's their home. How come you are willing to let it go so easily and uproot to the north side so easily? Possibly he could have been thinking that it's too much of a struggle and a distraction from his words. I'd say he could have been thinking, mm. I just want to play football. I just want to get into mm. a ground. This could drag on for a long time. You you know, that type of... Like he was that t- He seems like that type of guy, you know? But very, very, very interesting. But really looking yeah. forward to the to the uh, the feedback to this one. The passionate fans who were there at the time would probably ask that question. Why couldn't he see what we felt about it? And he he gave us he gave us his reasons. Do you know what? Maybe he just lacks empathy. Like it seemed like that. It seems like he was he didn't care for feelings. He was a no nonsense type of fella, mm-hmm. and that's pr- just probably what it was. He's just a harsh individual who doesn't really care for people's feelings. He laid out his justification. Yeah, he just. He just wanted to win football games, yeah. win a league. He wasn't thinking about the big picture. Um, the no-nonsense style kind of transferred off the pitch as well. But the response to that is, what use is winning one more league if you lose Milltown and you're homeless for 22 years? He didn't know that we'd be homeless for 22 years. He only knew what the coins were telling them. Um, also brought up next week's show with the two lads is... Did you notice that part when he's talking about McLaughlin leaving for Derry? Yes. There was a little hint there. Maybe McLaughlin knew something. He didn't. He didn't want to say it, but he did say it in, a, in, in that kind of roundabout way. Yeah. Just before we go, some quick ones, some questions left on the cutting room floor. Tommy Tommy sent me. I'm not joking. Fourteen messages. I deliberately didn't open them because I just wanted to see the icon just keep increasing. And it was 14. I kept updating the lads in the group. I was like, 14 now. That's 14 from Tommy, from Tommy Tommy. Um, I would have needed three shows just to ask all these questions. I asked some of them. Um, you did ask one interesting one. And we're going to play next week as well. There's a little RTE report. It's from the archives. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, an RTE reporter asked him this question. Go Not Keely. He asked... Um, a Kilcoyne, one of the brothers, he asked him this question. Tommy said, one of the reasons a lot of Rovers fans think the Kilcoynes were being economic with the truth about the club's finances was the number of players who joined overseas clubs. So what kind of transfers were they receiving? And Ooh. then, in the RT reports, the Kilcoyne says, oh, we actually didn't get a lot for it. Like, we, have, we had a lot of expenses with, you know, European games and stuff. So they're claiming they didn't get that much. I mean, like, King went to France and McDonough went to France and players went to Belgium and Spain. You know, what What were the transfer fees? We don't know. This really excites me now. This, aside from the really serious issue of Glenn Malore being sold and that, but the fact that they're selling players to France and Spain and stuff like that, that I yeah. find that fascinating. So I'd love, that's something for us to delve into. Didn't Another get, day. Yeah. Didn't get a chance to talk about who was a maths and English teacher for over 40 years in Churchtown. Didn't get a chance to talk about his Dundalk 94-95 team. The worst League of Ireland champions in history. As you'll hear I, next week. I think the top goal scorer had, had about six goals or something <laughs> ridiculous. And didn't know he had a book coming out. No, I until he said that in the interview. I wasn't aware he was writing no a book. I wonder he agreed to the show. <laughs> yeah. It's the same with Roddy, wasn't it? Roddy came on. He came into the lair for our 
fifth anniversary, wasn't it? And it was like February. And then like November of that year, his book came out. We're sitting so, here in the lair. Yeah. Phone rings. Roddy's ringing your prof. Yeah. Jesus! I'm in Walker still! <laughs> <laughs> right, so prof, that's it. And it's, this, uh, we're looking forward to your feedback from Darren McKeeley anyway. And um, we owe us and our golden goal. We had the first full house and a golden goal, a pot of 450 euro and an iron green training kit. We also have a Sean Horwin, loads of spot prizes this year, so loads of training gear. More going players, out. jocks. Yes, I think it's the best way for it. It's sitting around, it's collecting dust. I'd rather give it to the fans and let them wear it in the five aside of training and do what they want to do in the gym, whatever. So it's going to be full again this week, so get your GGs in. So that is it. We've 80 show part two with Jim and Jason next week. It's an absolute cracker. We're going to be doing the 90s one, so keep an eye out we're going to try and get it live in the provs it's going to be another long one Gar, but luckily we'll have no goals to talk about next week so I think the timing <laughs> works out well there so that is it for this week we will see you in Tolka Park and keep on hooping see ya wake up every morning at a quarter to ten like am I dying is this real or right it's this again I'm awoken by my daughter as she jumps in my bed I'm only kidding, I don't have a kid, I crochet instead Am I depressed? Stressed? It's anyone's guess I'll bother getting better when I bother getting dressed Is it gonna end? When? Alrighty then It's just another day of hanging with my daughter and I'm living in the future Shampoo.